Shields up, Ironbreakers. Welcome back to another episode of the Cons Cast. Today, I have someone with me whom I haven't spoken to in a very long time. His name is Franz. There's going to be a lot of you that might not be aware of who he is. He's also known on the internet as a German spy. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing very well, thank you. It is so good to see you, well, you know, see you in a manner of speaking, to chat <laughs> yeah. with you again and hang out. And greetings, listeners. My name is Franz, and uh, Rui and I go back a fair way, don't we? Yeah, quite a, quite a few years. I, I kind of figured, like, you know what? Christmas is like one of those uh, occasions where I get a very nostalgic vibe, and I was like, you know what? I should bring a German spy on. We'll talk about the good old days. We'll talk about some of the... Uh, some of the recent stuff in the industry as well, and it'll just be an overall fun time. But before we begin, considering that this episode is most likely going to air in the channel at some point after Christmas, I would like to wish everybody that celebrates Christmas, I hope that you guys had a fantastic Christmas. I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas as well, or Happy Holidays, depending on whatever people celebrate. It's like, you know, but I, I think it, you know, I just like, people to celebrate something around this time of the year hopefully that they can get to spend some time with family and whatnot because that's what i usually do around this time of the year just like spend time with family agreed if not the holidays then some other excuse like for example being on your friend's podcast yeah just just get together with somebody and uh, get some food or get some drinks or do something and you know just hang out but uh yeah i just wanted to point that out before we even get started christmas time happy not new at all. year and all of the I, usual. I would echo those sentiments as well. Happy whatever year-end holidays you do or don't celebrate, and just hopes to everybody that you're all safe and well. So, for people that might not know who you are in my channel... Which is uh, everybody, probably. I mean, I, I wouldn't say everybody. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people still know who you are. But for those of you that don't, like, introduce yourself a little bit. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put you in the spot right the there. Off one the one thing I wasn't prepared for was telling people who I am. I, I ought to be better at this because I'm, I'm not a big name. I'm, I've kind of, I've been around in the background since probably near the beginning of the Souls community on YouTube. And before that, I hung around on game FAQs with a bunch of people who uh, just loved demon souls and wanted to chat about demon souls and share info but that's where i got my start so i um i actually started making videos on youtube in 2010 ish and i got to know a bunch of the people who were part of the community at that time epic name bro uh quaylag uh, a few of those other original personalities and that's how Rui and i got to know each other was we met yeah. in that same community and uh, I, I've always kind of, I uh, had a, a small channel, a small following. My content is kind of, um, uh, long form. So obviously it's not, it doesn't have mainstream appeal or anything. So not too many people, I don't think know who I am, or at least not too many people have told me they do, but <laughs> yeah, I'm just one of the old souls guys. I play variety games nowadays cause I like to keep it fresh. You know what they say? Variety is the spice of life. And, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, that's me. So Demon Souls is kind of like how you got started creating content. It is. And then when I got to know Epic Name Bro, Marcus, uh, he eventually, it turned out that he was working 
on the official strategy guide for Dark Souls 2. This was in, I, I want to say 2011, maybe 2012. These years have all gone by so fast, it all escapes me anymore. And I got a message from him one day saying, hey, Franz, uh, would you like to help write an official strategy guide for Dark Souls 2, which hadn't come out yet at that time. It was still in dev. And I was like, wow, boy, do I. Sure, sign me up. And that was how I got involved with uh, working on the official strategy guides for the Souls games as a writer. Whenever whenever ENB comes up as a topic of conversation, uh, ENB epic name, bro, Marcus, mm. whenever he comes up as a topic of conversation, I always like to tell people that back in the day, because I was still very like inexperienced as a content creator, I remember sometimes looking at like Marcus's videos and going like, you know, with that arrogant like snot nosed little brat attitude and going out like my videos are better <laughs> <laughs> we, we all thought that back in the day right like <laughs> i gotta feel like that was a lot of like the the feeling around a lot of content creator circles back then we all kind of like saw this as a, a zero-sum game and even if we never said it publicly at least i know that that's how i was and i'm happy that i'm not like that at all anymore because good lord that was such a terrible mentality to have oh, well it's but been I, what like 14 15 years we've had time to grow out of it yeah, fortunately we've, we've had time to grow out of it but it was it was just it's just funny to look back and think that that's how i was, I was like mm, i should get more views than what i'm getting look at how many views he's getting <laughs> i have a slightly better microphone than this guy and his view count is triple mine what's going on here <laughs> Right. Yes. I remember all too well. <laughs> uh, some funny times. But then, you know, I got I got to know him uh, a little bit better by watching his content and whatnot. I became became a, a big fan, both of his and and of your content as well. It was, uh, it was it was a cool time because we were you know, we were there right at the beginning. And I feel like ever since the Dark Souls explosion, a lot more people joined in, which is a good thing. It's fantastic. Community completely exploded. But we were some of the few people that were going like, before Dark Souls was like super popular, we we're like, yeah, Dark Souls is going to be amazing, guys. We played Demon Souls. We know. <laughs> people were like, Demon Souls? The hell is Demon Souls? That was a game that they, all, they didn't even have that much faith in it because it released like in Japan first and then only later it went to the US and only later after that, it eventually came to Europe. Like I remember I imported a demon souls copy from like canada or something <clears throat> yep yeah that, and i think it had was it atlas that published it in europe because i had the american the, the ntsc version is what i first played uh, uh no i think it was, was it bandai Niponichi? namco bandai namco okay yeah i think it was straight up bandai they they published demon souls and then they published dark souls as well and then it was always them but the version that i had was atlas as well because i imported it Okay, so you, you did the same thing I did then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, because why would you get the European release of anything when so many companies would just cut content from the European releases? It's not, it's not even that they would cut content. It's more like it straight up wasn't available when I started playing it. You couldn't buy it in Europe. There well, yeah, was no or way that. to get it. Or Japan was like, Europe, what's that? EU? Huh? Who? What? Isn't it just us in the States? Like, what? what's this EU country? It must well, be some small country that nobody's there. They they barely even want to acknowledge the States back then. I mean... <laughs> yeah, it was just like, oh yeah, this thing just comes out in Japan. And, you know, and then yeah. eventually it kind of like blew up. 
If Before, we think the overseas market will like it, then maybe. Otherwise, no, screw you. Yeah. Spend $500 importing a Japanese copy, which is literally what I had to do with Final Fantasy XI in order to play it at launch. But that's a whole other thing. You you played Final Fantasy XI? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I didn't play it like that. That was like, uh, you know, that was way too early for me. I was up. The first MMORPG that I played, I think, was actually Ultima Online. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, that's going way Ultima. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, because I played Ultima Online, I ended up never really getting into 11. Did you play it a lot? Yeah, I played from the Japanese launch in 2001 all the way up through 2009. Damn. <laughs> now, now, I have, now I have to ask the follow-up question. Go and on. Everybody, everybody's going to hate me for asking this question. Uh, did you play 14? <laughs> Actually, I can give you a good answer to that question, which is, yes, I did. I played 14 at launch, and you know what that means. <laughs> oh, no. You played 1.0. 1. 1. 1.0, that, that... my friend. 1.0. And that, I'm, I imagine that you didn't play it for very long. I bounced off that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, 1.0 is not particularly good. So you never went back to it afterwards? No, I still, I went out of my way at launch to buy the collector's edition of FF14. I Can still I have, have your it. account? <laughs> I don't know if the like, account even still exists. I know that like, they have, you know, yeah. They have like a special standing within the community because they're like supposedly the founders or whatever. You get like a special tattoo that Yeah, they have the tattoos and yeah. like a, a cheaper subscription or something like that, I think, right? Yeah, see, that's a good investment. I'll play through the whole game again on a different account just to get it cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> honestly man i would give it to you but no, i don't no, no, think I'm it joking. exists anymore i i tried to log in to that account um because when my community found out that i had played final fantasy 11 back in the day a whole bunch of people who had also played ff11 came out of the woodwork and said hey will you stream this and i said sure i guess and so i created another character i found in my attic, I found my old game boxes to Final Fantasy XI that still had an unused free trial code for a month of free FF11 that still <laughs> worked, that I redeemed on the Square Enix website. And I said, all right, guys, I'll stream this for a month until the free trial runs out. And if you guys are still interested in seeing me continue to stream this after that month, then you're going to have to pay for it with subs or something because I otherwise I cannot justify getting into an MMO again. And sure enough, people started throwing money at me. And so I, I'm still going through the FF11 story missions again on a new Wait, character. You're still doing that? Yes, on a new character, mind you, because I lost access to my old FF11 account. But um, you, know yeah, that, you know that 14 exists, right? I know that 14 exists. I do. <laughs> but and it's actually really good now. I know. I've heard. I've watched friends of mine stream fourteen. It's it's clearly great now. Oh yeah, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. That it's just that I I kind of be I, I I became a bit of a meme in the community because uh, I don't know if you know who Gaijin Hunter is. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So Gaijin Hunter has been like a super OG Monster Hunter content creator. We have our own podcast, Third Fleet Podcast, and I. At some point last year, I think it was last, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before that, 
because like time is uh time flows strangely in the lands of Lordran, but oh. also in <laughs> in my lands. But right there uh, with so you, got, my friend. I got him to try out fourteen, and it, the hilarious thing was that he kept telling me, "This game's not for me. I'm gonna hate this. This is this, this is a million percent not for me." And I was, I was like, "I think you'll enjoy it. Look, just play the free trial. It'll be whatever." He has gone off the deep end. He has, like, he just plays that game nonstop. That's it. That's his life. Not his favorite <laughs> game of all time. Uh, he plays it with his daughter. Like they, they, they do. They do like all the savage raids. They've been doing ultimates, which is like the hardest possible content that you can do in that game. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't like the game. <laughs> That's incredible. And so the community's pissed off at me because he basically stopped making Monster Hunter content. Oh for a while. no! You took away their Monster Hunter content creator. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> and, and it's it's like some people are even like this is Rurikon's plan. He's he's taken out the competition. <laughs> okay, but look, really on the down low, was that actually your plan? No one has to know. You can tell me from the from the beginning. Of course, that, that's oh, obviously brilliant. <laughs> No, of course not. It was I. Th I didn't even expect them to like it that much. It was mostly just because I think the story of that game is so good that I want more people to experience it. So whenever I have a friend that you know we talk about games and I'm like, hey, you should try it out. It's got a really great free trial. All that stuff. You play it. You don't like it. Don't play it anymore. It's whatever. You give them the whole uh, best rated MMO I mean, script. That yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the critically acclaimed Final yes, Fantasy Heaven's Ward expansion. <laughs> yes, just got that the on meme. speed dial, ready to copy paste into someone's Discord I should, DMs. I should be getting like uh, I don't know some type of like kickback from Square Enix for the amount of people that I've gotten into Final Fantasy fourteen. No kidding, Yoshi P should just put you on the payroll already. You What's know, going on? The the reality, I, I actually there there's three people that I've always wanted to interview in the industry. <clears throat> Those three people are Miyazaki, uh, Yoshi P. And Ryozu. Ryozu Tsujimoto is like from Capcom. He's the good yeah, guy I know him. Monster Hunter. Yeah, you know. Hmm. So these are the three people that I've always wanted to interview. And so far, I've only gotten to interview Miyazaki twice, which is great. I was going to say, because I, I thought you hadn't interviewed Miyazaki because yeah, 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 I was I there. Yeah, we we were both there. That was like the first time yeah, that, that was I E3. went to E3. Yeah. yeah. No, wait, that was the second time that I went to E3. That was like 2015, right? Yeah, that was in 2015 when we were invited out by Bandai Namco for the unveiling of Dark Souls 3. I mean, you say we. Well, okay, I some wasn't... of us hitched a free ride on the Namcopter, but, you know. I, I wasn't invited at all. I was going there because of the, the company that I was working with at the time, TGN, and we were going to go to E3 to do, like, some coverage of stuff. And because I was one of the people that had experience in E3 because I had been there before, you know, I got to go... And when I got there, you know, I, I realized like, wait a minute, there's dark. So there's something happening with Dark Souls three in here. And so what? I'm just like firing off all kinds of emails at everybody that I know at Ben. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on at E3? I want in. <laughs> Let me so in. You were just there by coincidence oh, because yeah. you worked with TGN? Oh, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. It was complete coincidence. I did not know that there was anything happening with Dark Souls 3 at E3 that year. That's all. incredible. I thought that was the entire reason you were there. We were standing in the same no. line. You and nope. we were lining up for that presentation and you and I were talking and I was I yeah. never at any point realized that you weren't there for that express purpose. 
Nope. Uh, it was it was complete happenstance, and it was just like luck of the draw that I was even able to get invited. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was, uh, you remember, uh, I have a terrible time pronouncing his name, Cartage? Cartage? Carche, Joseph Carche. Oh, is, yes. is that how you pronounce it, Carche? Yeah, okay. yeah, Carche. He was the community I, manager of Bandai Namco at that time. I love that guy. That guy's freaking amazing. He's currently working for uh, Square Enix. So yeah, and, really? and I think I think for a brief, I think he went like Bandai Namco and then Blizzard and then Square Enix. I think that's been kind of like his career path. Yeah, he's bounced around from sure. company to company, to my yeah, knowledge. But, I, I haven't really followed him closely since then, but. He is awesome. He is one of the the people that first gave me a shot when my when my channel was like giga small. You mm. know, I somehow ended up finding his email somewhere and I messaged him and he was one of the few people I was like, "Yeah, sure, I can get you a couple of codes for a couple of games that you're interested in and whatnot." And I it, he's a re, he's just a really solid dude. So when when I figured out that there was something happening with Dark Souls 3 at that E3, I was like, Kurt, help! <laughs> oh, you went through him. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes perfect sense, because he was there the whole time, and he would have been a good contact person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's how I was able to get in there, and I remember seeing you there, and Peeve was there, and... Most of Soulbrand was there. That's how I got in, was I piggybacked yeah. on them. A lot of the a lot of the guys from Soulbrand were there, which was a, a really fantastic uh, presentation. Because I remember, uh, if you remember in Dark Souls Two, there was that thing that uh, they called Soul Memory, which is how they determined who could invade who. Oh God! Yeah, I worked on the official guide for that game. Believe me, I know all about Soul Memory. Yeah. Ugh. So so it's like. I I remember asking Miyazaki after the presentation, it's like, so are you guys doing Soul Memory again? And Miyazaki just turns and goes, Soul Memory does. It's like he had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, yeah, they. I, I think they called it something different in Japanese, which might be why he didn't recognize it. I believe that their internal term for it was something slightly different. Um, oh. Soul Memory, if I remember correctly, uh, is what they ended up calling it in English, but it was it was called something different in internally. So that's probably why he drew a blank when you asked him about it. So which one which one of the guides did you work on then? Because you worked on Dark Souls 2. Did you also work on Dark Souls 3 for the um, guides? Uh, well, it's funny you ask that. So uh, one of the things I do to keep a roof over my head and food on the table is that I'm a freelance writer. And for a long time, ever since... 2011, 2012, I've been mostly lending my services as such to Future Press. Um, it's been a long road. I've worked on many guides. I've worked on Dark Souls 2, uh, Bloodborne, Bloodborne Old Hunters, Horizon Zero Dawn, believe it or not, um, the Dark Souls Trilogy Compendium, uh, Elden Ring, Books 1 and 2, and I feel like I might even be forgetting one. <laughs> No Sekiro in there. No, because Sekiro was going on at the same time as... Um, oh, God, it was going on at the same time as one of the other books. I can't remember which one. And I had to choose because I couldn't do both. Because working on two at the same time is... Like, yeah, I can only imagine you get stuff mixed up because of the different mechanics and whatnot. Yeah. Well, that and having to meet deadlines for two projects concurrently is just not humanly possible, you know? Yeah. So I had to take my pick and I ended up, I, I want to say it was the compendium, 
but it's uh, the years have gone by and just blurred together, so I don't rightly remember anymore. But it was I had to choose between either working on Sekiro or working on one of the other books, and I felt that my particular areas of knowledge were better suited to the other book. Yeah, I mean, if it was a Dark Souls compendium, it makes more sense because you'd probably have way more experience with that than uh, Sekiro, where you would be starting um, fresh, I would imagine. Well, that and the compendium was the only book in which we ever got to cover Dark Souls 3 at all, because the contract for the Dark Souls 3 guide, as you might already be aware, um, you might have... Uh, I, I think I recall you doing a video back in the day on the collector's edition of Dark Souls 3's official strategy guide that came with a, a certain little green device, which shall remain unnamed. Um, I don't, I don't, you seem to remember this way better than me, did I? What's, what's the green device? What are we talking about? I thought I remembered you talking about it either on a podcast episode I or in one of your videos. I might have, um, but I don't remember it. I have a terrible memory. So the 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 official strategy guide for Dark Souls 3 was done by Prima, not by Future Press. Um, and we would have liked to do it, but Prima ended up being the company that got the contract. And um, you might recall, let me grab a link for it, and maybe you can throw this link in the video description for, um, or the, the podcast description. I don't know where this is going up, but um, uh, there is a... <laughs> there's a collector's edition of the official strategy guide that came with a, it was supposed to be like a little model Estes flask. Um, however, the, the physical Estes flask that it actually came with was a, a here, here's a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is not going to play very well for podcast purposes but this is what it actually came with <laughs> what the <laughs> and it's just, people you guys can't people, see but it's just like a piece of green plastic like that's it people who bought the collector's edition of the dark souls 3 guide were comparing this thing to a butt plug <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's what was sent. Here is what was advertised. Oh no. Here is what was shown that you would oh, actually my get. God. Yeah, that looks very different. You guys won't be able to see it on the podcast, but it looks like a proper Estes flask. That's it's almost like they forgot to paint the other one. Or like it, shipped it, it, it out maybe, in a hurry. Maybe it needed like a sticker or something to put it. It was never going to look like that. Yeah, it was never going to look like a proper Estes. <laughs> yeah, no, but you, you see the difference between what was advertised and what was delivered. Yeah, so I, I definitely did not cover that at all. Because like usually I, I I don't really look at guides very much because I'm, I have the, the whole thing where I want to experience it all completely fresh without knowing absolutely anything about any of these games. And that's always what what people kind of want to see from me, which makes it even very hard to like cover the games. Cause for instance, if you go into like a network test or something, then you know that by the time you get to that level, you know, the positioning of all the enemies and where everything is. And you're just like, Oh, and then people assuming start, well, it doesn't this change. Yeah. yeah. Which usually it doesn't change that much. So people just go like, Oh, this isn't actually a blind playthrough, like an Elden ring. I was like, well, it's a blind ah. playthrough, but I know all you know, everything that was in the network test from Limgrave. So I already know where most of the things are. 
Yeah, and that didn't change too much. I think I thought you had done a video on that because I I know that you usually go for early copies, and I thought that if you'd been given a review copy, then they would have sent you a copy of the guide as well. I don't know no, why I thought they that. Don't, I'd... They don't usually send copies of guides. They just give you like a code. Okay, I must have been thinking of one of my other friends then. I'm sorry. Yeah. In my old age, I the, the memory's <laughs> not what it used to be. Yeah. You, you and me both. How old are you, by the way? I, I think I'm only a few years younger than you. I, I think I'm you're, only... You're younger than me? Damn. Well, I don't know. Let's find out. I'm 38. God, I'm so old. It's disgusting. Oh, come on. I feel my toenails curling at this point from how old I am, dude. Stop. You're like, what, 40? Come on. 41. <laughs> okay, well... Yes, so it's really old. I wish we're I was only a younger. few years apart. We could end up in the same retirement home together. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, that, that's, so, that's funny. Yeah, so that's what happened with the Dark Souls 3 guide. That's why I didn't work on it, because Prima got that contract. And, yeah. and I, I want you to see something. Uh -oh. uh, I, I, I just want you to know... Um, let me pull it up here. I, I want you to take a look at the uh, the Amazon reviews for the Dark Souls 3 Prima Guide. Damn. Here just, we go. Just, just, just throw in a little bit of shade. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. Um, because there are, there are some reviews here that complain that... Um, I think an entire chapter was missing. Um, and then there's a there's a point in the book where they literally give the advice, if you're having trouble with this boss fight, uh, go online and watch your favorite content creator for tips. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it was a shit show, That's this book. That's amazing. It's like, hey, listen, if you get if you're having problems, just go to YouTube. Okay. Yeah, check out one of those cool people in the community who are doing yeah. the real work. Yeah. <laughs> go, go watch, uh, you know, ENB, German Spy, Lobos. Go watch one of them, and no, they I'm would sure never... they'll be they'll they'll be happy to to tell you all about it. They would never recommend us by name. Here's one. Not even fit to be kindling. One star. Um, I think most of what can be said about the quality of this guide has already been said. I purchased it to have a complete set along with my other guides for Dark Souls 1 and 2, which were the future press ones. They weren't done by Prima. The, uh, here he even says it. The other guides were made by Future Press, and while the Dark Souls 2 guide has its own issues, I was generally pleased with the quality. That guide had its own issues because there was a day one patch, and immediately the information in the guide was outdated on day one because oh, of the day sucks. one patch. Yeah, it, it does suck. It was We were all very sad about it. Um, yeah, and that's, that's the problem with print media. Yup. Well, and it's the problem with video games being able to take advantage of the internet these days, which on the one hand is beneficial in some ways, but on the other hand, if you're writing a book and you have a print deadline for the book and then the developer goes, hey, what if we added a bunch of content to the game three months after the book is published? Or, you know, what if we rebalanced it with a big patch? Well, so much for the accuracy of the book. 
During your your experience working on some of these, did you get to interact with the Souls team at all? Because I'm assuming in some of these, you at least had like early access to the game and stuff, right? Yeah, well, it, it, generally we try to have books out by the launch day of the game. The launch, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we'll we'll get early builds of the game, but since the game is still in dev, um, it usually will be in an incomplete state. So there will be, you know, we might get a build two, three, four months in advance, but there will only be so much we can do. And so we have to kind of get as much done as we can and uh, work as efficiently as possible, structure things, get things ready for filling in information when we get the next build and it's more complete. Um, but it's, uh, we, we do also have contact with the dev teams generally to some degree or another. And um, some dev teams are easier to get in touch with than others. It depends on where they're located. It depends on, you know, how busy they are. Uh, dev teams in Japan, just in general, are a little bit more difficult to contact from the West because of time zone differences. And, um, and because you need interpreters, I would imagine. Yeah, although we, we do have translators that we use to, um, to translate emails to Japanese dev teams. So, um, you know, we've, we've got uh, one guy on staff full time who does that. Um, oh, and okay. I, I have a kind of general caveman level of Japanese that I can use to help translate documents. Um, so that's helpful too. But um, yeah, generally there's, there's always at least some level of dev collaboration. So I'm curious, how does, you know, playing these games in an early access and with that mentality that you're going to be working on a guide, how does that affect like your enjoyment of when you're playing like a Souls game? Well, it's it's one of those uh, monkey's paw kinds of deals, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with Berserk, with the Baylets? I mean, I'm familiar with the concept of monkey's paw. I'm not super familiar with Berserk, no. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. I figured I'd ask about Berserk because Miyazaki loves it so much. Yeah, I figured yeah, I maybe. Um, but so, yeah, the, the, the general concept of it is you give something up in order to get something, right? Yeah. Um, you, you give up maybe that first blind playthrough in order to get the look behind the curtain and to see the game while it's in development and to see, for example, the, maybe the concepts that they try out, but reject or discard and that end up on the cutting room floor. Um, sometimes just to see the iterative process that the, the devs go through with the game and to see that even something that makes it into the retail version of the game might go through multiple iterations in different forms before it reaches what they consider to be final. And uh, to get to see that, to me, I, I've always felt, um, yeah, it sucks to not get that first blind playthrough, but that was always a sacrifice that I was willing to make to, to kind of see behind the curtain into the, the cogs and gears of it, you know? Yeah, it it because I know that it's probably going to be something that a lot of the a lot of the people watching this podcast and you know because because nowadays we have that culture where a lot of people they want to get access to the things as as fast as possible. There's like this culture of the now almost where yep. you know everything we need to consume all the information as fast as possible. And I, I I was curious if you feel like that is you know obviously you're doing it as uh, as part of a a job, but like. If it wasn't part of a job, right, is that something that you would still do or would you prefer to instead, you know, for the for the whole aspect of getting to peek behind the curtain, do you think that is worth sacrificing the full playthrough for if you're not doing a job or would you prefer, no, I'd rather experience the finish, 
finished product instead. If I weren't working for a, a, a paycheck, yeah, uh, I would go about it differently. Uh, I because if you're not doing something like working on an official guide where you have to play the game in advance in order to produce the guide, um, it, it is possible to kind of have it both ways nowadays because. And this is a huge shout out to, again, the community and all the people in the community who have done so much hard work to, uh, to, to data mine these games and to crack them open and to reveal all of the stuff that they can possibly find, the stuff that's still left in the game data. Yeah, if like, I weren't uh, working... Hmm? Illus Illusory Wall. And, Illusory uh, Wall, Zuli the Witch. Zuli there are the so Witch, many. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I want to give shout outs to everyone, but there are more people than I even know about who are doing yeah. this. Um, but uh, because of the efforts of those people, even if we don't get to play the game early, we can get our first playthrough of it blind. And then once we've played it blind, we can go back and start going down the rabbit hole of cut content, data mine content, all that stuff. So you can have it both ways now. Yeah. Which is, you know, to, to me, that's the, the best way of doing it. It's just like, I like experiencing everything blind. As a matter of fact, like, you know, I've been covering a, a ton of Monster Hunter. That that's kind of like the the game that really blew up my channel, like in 2018. Yeah, and you've been covering a lot of Rise. I think I've seen lately. Yeah, Rise, yeah. Sunbreak. I've even now we're doing a, a return to world campaign kind of thing. We're going back to world and replaying through world on a fresh save. Nice. But like that that covering that game. While I love it to death, I really don't like the. Um, some of the marketing material that they do because they will straight up spoil 90% of the monsters that are going to be on the game. <laughs> that's <laughs> not just Capcom. That's yeah, everybody these everybody days. Everybody like, is doing it. Every damn trailer. It doesn't matter what it's for. It could be for the next Netflix series. They spoil half the plot in the trailers. Is, isn't that weird? Did you feel like we're reaching a point where there's a lot of stuff that people are missing out on through organic discovery? Like I even have people in my community that will just be like, well, going on blackout mode. Sorry, Rurikon. I'm unsubscribing for like a month or whatever, you know, when you're leading up to the thing, which I completely understand. You kind of have to. Sometimes. You have to. You have to go into blackout mode if you really want to experience discovery nowadays. You do, because one errant click on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, and suddenly you've been spoiled on the third season of the thing you haven't even watched the first episode of. Now, nowadays, it's not even just one errant click, because in, in my case, I am always very specific, like, hey, this content does not have spoilers. Like, if I'm doing a review of a Monster Hunter game, I will cover, like, maybe the first four or five monsters, or monsters mm. that everybody already expects to be in the game. Sure. And I will not show footage of any of the new monsters or anything like that so that people can experience that at their own pace. But the problem is you have, uh, you know, certain channels that will just straight up go like, oh, yeah, here's a, a thumbnail of what the final boss looks like. Right, right. Or <laughs> here's a leak a month before the thing is even yes. out. Leaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh, I, but it's like anything else. It's like... I don't know. It's it. I the, it, this is a terrible example, but the best thing I can liken it to is the drug trade, where if there's demand, there will be supply, yep. and there's just this ravenous appetite for, as you said, all of the information immediately before the thing is even out. Like, let's time travel to the future and spoil the last season of everything for ourselves. 
Right. I, I shudder to think what people would do with time machines, ruining the good, you know, movie series. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think if we invent time machines, I think there are other things that we need to be concerned about. <laughs> no, shush. It's only the, the last season of that Netflix special. They're going to go to the future yes. and then bring back spoilers. That's what we have to worry about. That'll be that'll be the the serious the serious problem that we need to tangle with. Yeah, no, no other nefarious uses for time travel at all. <laughs> Why would you even think differently? No, what what's what's there to worry about? It's no problem. Don't so, you want to know what Dark Souls Six is going to be like? I th no. That's oh. that's that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> there's there's a lot of people that call for. Oh man, when's Dark Souls Four? When's Bloodborne 2? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Just out of curiosity. And, and the reason I'm asking this is because I think that from software's at their best when they're working on new IP. So, oh, you know, Bloodborne. 100%. Like, you know, Bloodborne, Sekiro, uh, Elden Ring. I'm like, that's what I want. I want the. Ne I don't want Dark Souls 4. I don't want Bloodborne 2. I want the next thing, right? Like, where do you land on that? You and I have expressed this same sentiment independently on many occasions. Um, yes, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. And if you look at their sequels, the sequels that FromSoft has done, um, Dark Souls 1 to Dark Souls 2, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, there are people who like Dark Souls 2. I'm not going to tell Whoa. you you're wrong for liking it. Whoa. But, <laughs> what know, is this loaded, this loaded argument right here? Well, <laughs> there's people that like that thing, but um, no, keep going. No, yeah, I've, yeah, Rui's over there like, yeah, dig yourself deeper, idiot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get roasted in the comments now. I know, <laughs> but it's nothing I'm not accustomed to. I, But my feeling is genuinely... As much as they tried some new things in the later iterations of Dark Souls, they also kind of, they went downhill in quality in certain respects. And uh, I know that better than anyone from DS1 to DS2, having seen behind the curtain in DS2 on the, um, the technical end, never mind the actual creative artistic end. But um, I, I also just personally, in and of myself, uh, feel that the quality went down from one to two and then from two to three. And there are certain things about Elden Ring that I think they learned their lesson from and they made some very significant improvements. There are also choices that they made in Elden Ring that I think are really unfortunate and that I personally do not hold with. And Interesting. when then... Hmm? Interesting. Now, I'll, I'll want to dig deeper into that, but keep going. Sure. Uh, but then when I look at new IPs that they've done or like reboots of old IPs, such as for example, Armored Core 6. Um, Armored Core 6, either you like the genre or you don't, but you know, they knocked Armored Core 6 out of the park. Oh yeah. Um, like that was a, a return to form with most, if not all of the improvements that people wanted over the older Armored Core games. Um, they did a fantastic job with that. And yes, technically it's an existing IP, but play it side by side with one of the old Armored Core games. And, you know, it's it's kind of the spiritual successor to the earlier Armored Cores that Demon Souls was to Kingsfield, right? Yeah. Very so, much so. 
Yeah, so they, they do their best work when they are not beholden to existing limitations. And I think that the existing limitations of Dark Souls 1 caused Dark Souls 2 and 3 to suffer, um, particularly in terms of their plot, uh, in terms of FromSoft feeling like they maybe had to shoehorn the plot of 2 and 3 so that it was related to 1. I think 2 and 3 would have been much better games if they had been more of their own thing. So if they weren't a Dark Souls game, so to speak, if they, you know, very much like you know, we had Bloodborne and whatnot, if it was like, no, this is just a different game, you think? Well, that or better? maybe not even that, but maybe if they were set in the same universe as Dark Souls, but they were telling a different story. Because DS2 and 3, you know, without spoiling anything for anyone who hasn't played them, 2 and 3 are essentially just rehashes of the story of 1. And there's so much more FromSoft could have done with that. They, they could have made it so much more interesting by telling some other story instead of just going back and doing the same narrative two more times, you know? Yeah. So here, here's my, my, my take when it comes to the Dark Souls 2 thing. For starters, because hmm. we're gonna we're gonna take this by parts. <laughs> okay. So yeah, when it comes let's, to, let's pick it apart then. When it comes when it comes to Dark Souls two, the way that I look at it is like, look, Dark Souls two is the worst Souls game. Oh, okay. So it's, it's no, no, not no, just no. me. No, no, no. But here's <laughs> the thing: you said some people like it. When I say Dark Souls two is this worst Souls game, mm. it's still a good game. I like it. I like Dark right, Souls right. two, except okay. for the frigid outskirts. Fuck that place. <laughs> That place sucks. Whoever designed that place, listen, there's a special place in hell for you, okay? And everybody who took part in designing that level, all right? Those goddamn steel unicorns from hell can go get bent somewhere, all right? I don't, bro, I hate that place. Okay? The one person who was drunk at the Izakaya while he drafted the plan for that area and then <laughs> came to work the following day and went, hey, guys, you know what would be hilarious? <laughs> did you did your guide include that or was it just for the base game no no i i want to be clear i just made that up but i wouldn't be surprised um the the, the guide um it didn't include dlc to... right because i think if you guys release it on the day of unless you make like a special guide for the dlc later no we um the 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 original book for dark souls 2 was just the base game because the dlc wasn't out yet yeah yeah, yeah so so yeah, that, that place absolutely sucks. I hate it with every fiber of my being. But other than that, you know, I enjoyed Dark Souls 2. I played a lot of hours of Dark Souls 2. Before my biggest... we go any further, forgive go me, ahead. and I hate interrupting on this, but before we move off the subject of the frigid outskirts. Go ahead. Um, I, I can only mention this because Yui Tanimura brought it up in the Design Works interview. Um, however... I want you to know that the frigid outskirts and Elaim Lois were originally planned to be even worse. Oh, um, because that snowstorm that covers the entire area was originally supposed to deal damage to you while you were in it. It was originally supposed to deal damage to you. Yes. Constant damage while you're in the snowstorm. Good God. Yes. <laughs> Because it's not enough that I can't see anything, including where these goddamn unicorns are coming from, which they move two steps to the left and Lock-On is gone. 
Yeah. So I also just need to know. be taking. Yeah. Uh, uh, God, that was so bad. I hate. Just that know place. the version of that area that we got was the toned down one. <laughs> and Tani Mori in the interview even said, "Well, yeah, you know, we took a look at that design and we realized it just wasn't any fun to play it that way." And uh. I'm sitting there like, "You think really?" Because it was so much more fun the way that you guys did it. I love that. It's amazing. I think I right, might have I'm... gone through it like twice, if that. Like, Jesus. I, I I, just, I couldn't stand that place. But yeah, other, other than that. I thought you might be interested to know that. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Go on. No, it's it, it's fine. So other than that, like, what, what were your main complaints when it came to Dark Souls 2? Like, if you have, like, as you just said, you don't like it. Kind of. So... I enjoyed my first playthrough of it because the first playthrough, I was blind enough to the actual story and the game because I was working on the guide at the time and because I was, you know, getting to see behind the curtain that uh, I was happy from that point of view. And then when I got to retail and I played the retail version of the game and I wasn't focused on doing the work anymore and I was able to put my attention on seeing the game for what it was... Ooh. I began to notice, wow, it, controlling your character feels very different from Dark Souls 1. Yes. The movement is a lot less responsive. It's a lot less snappy. Um, the, the fact that you don't, um, when you hit the attack button, your character doesn't automatically change direction or that if you're holding the, the left stick in a different direction, you attack the wrong way. Um, the the fact that the the invincibility frames were tied to a stat uh the yeah, fact that, that was, soul that memory existed adaptability yeah. or whatever the hell that thing was called oof adaptability a stat that was mandatory for you to put a whole bunch of points into yep um and the way that um the way that hit detection was handled the way that just that there were so many things about the game's systems and really the biggest one for me, because I'm a big co-op guy, like I enjoy doing co-op. One of my favorite things to do in Demon's Souls and Dark Souls 1 was to slap my sign down in a starting area where new players would be wandering around and uh, protect them from uh, those cheesed out invaders who had you know, gone oh, to the yeah. end of the game, you know, got all the best equipment, leveled up their weapons. Twink stuff, so, yeah. Yeah, so I would be the counter twink to the, the invading twink. <laughs> um, and that was what I enjoyed doing. And then we'd get to the boss, like, you know, we'd fight the Taurus demon in the undead Berg, like the first real boss of the game. And I'd, I'd be summoned by some newbie, and then I'd run over there and firestorm the Taurus demon as he jumped down, and the fight would be over before it started. <laughs> and that, that was what I liked to do. But you couldn't do that in Dark Souls 2 because, because of, soul memory, yeah. of soul memory. Right. And not only that, but they went so far out of their way to segregate online multiplayer in DS2 that it just became, well, okay, either you're backing up your save file so that you can revert to a point where you have the soul memory you need in order to interact with a specific level range, or your PvP character even that you put so much time into setting up is eventually going to get so many souls just from PvP victories that they're going to be pushed out of the PvP range. 
Yeah, I, th- and- I think um, I think eventually with those uh, co-op rings, I think they made it so that it ignored soul memory, so that you could do proper co-op at least. But that was like much later into the game's uh, life cycle. They but I think that added they did do something. They added a band-aid solution, which was called the Agape Ring. And the agape ring would simply prevent you from gaining any souls at all. Oh, ever. right. Yeah, you couldn't gain souls. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. So basically, so, you sacrifice a ring slot, of which there are four. Do you know that's like one of the biggest yep. memes in my community still? What, sacrificing ring slots? No, 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 no. Four ring slots. Oh. Because, because I got early access to the game. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I start recording it, and I'm recording it completely blind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm playing it like it's Dark Souls 1 almost. So I'm like, yeah, two rings. So I equip my two rings and here I go. And I don't (laughs) equip any more rings. Oh, no, you didn't. Did you spend the entire play? For 20 (laughs) episodes, which was at at the progression point that I was when I was allowed to start releasing them. Uh And it's like every single video Somebody would go in there. It's like you know, you got four ring slots, right? Like you understand. <laughs> it's like every single video there'd be like twenty, thirty comments of somebody saying, "Does he not know that he's got he's got four ring slots?" <laughs> so it's like at episode, tw- I had to make an episode which was like twenty point five, where I was like almost you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger meme in ki- yep. Kindergarten Cop, where he just goes yeah. like, "Shut, shut up, up, shut up, shut up, shut up." <laughs> yes, I that know was me, guys. Well. I know. I messed up for 20 recordings. I was not aware there were four ring slots. Like, there's oh, people God. that still throw that at me to this day. They're like, oh, by the way, we hashtag four ring slots. I was if like, it God makes damn. you feel any better, Rui, if it's any consolation, you are not the only person that happened to. You know uh, Ouroboros the Ninja over on Soul yeah, yeah, Brand? Yeah. You know him. So he did the same thing, except oh. it was with treasure chests because oh, he, he was, was breaking for all mimics. Of them? And he broke every treasure chest looking for mimics, not realizing for the first 18 or 19 episodes of his playthrough until he was allowed to start uploading them. And for that first, in the comments of every episode, why are you breaking the treasure chest? Stop, stop breaking the treasures, Oroboru, what the hell? Yeah, and then on the 20th episode or whatever it was, he had to explain to people, look... It's funny I had that it was no also 20 reference. episodes for him. <laughs> yeah, so like it, it it was something near that. Yes. So I think it, it wasn't I think I just broke you. a couple I think I broke a couple of them as well cuz I was looking for mimics, but I think I very quickly <laughs> realized after breaking like 3 or 4. I yep. was like, "Wait a minute. I'm just getting trash whenever I break them. I need to stop this. Yeah. This is not reasonable." <laughs> yeah, he broke a whole bunch like everyone oh, that wasn't metal for like the first however many episodes it was he broke <laughs> oh that's so funny i had no idea yeah bandai oh, namco didn't God. tell anyone they didn't give anybody any yeah, literature exactly. with their early copies of the game you know that i you, mean that's a, one that's a good thing that's a, they shouldn't tell anything to anybody that's the way to do it yeah no they kept everyone completely in the dark and it was glorious oh my god so many memes but like when yeah. it came to when it came to dark souls 2 for me Besides the the frigid outskirts, there are like two things that bothered me. One of them is like you've mentioned, just the movement and unresponsiveness of the character. Mm. One of the things that I've noticed was when you lock on, your character would move slower. Like slower to the point where you couldn't run around and backstab almost because enemies would correct the turn faster 
then you would be able to turn. So in order to do backstabs, you would have to not be locked on and do some like awkward run behind them and then attack yep. them without being. It was so weird the way the that old that pivot worked. backstab. Yes. Yeah. So so you had to constantly like lock on, lock off, lock on, lock off, lock, which was not a particularly enjoyable uh, playstyle. Personally, I mean, you already do that whenever you're fighting big bosses, right? There's a big boss, so you're like, oh, this this boss lock on is not going to work very well. So you're used to that, but just having to do that for smaller dudes as well was like, eh, I don't know about that. So that was one yeah. of the things that I didn't like. And the other thing was, by the time I got to the mirror night, I was ready for the game to end. I was like, yeah, this feels about the right length. <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> there's so much more game and i was like wait when i got the shrine of amana i was like this zone is absolutely miserable and nowadays mm -hmm. players that will players that will have played dark souls 2 nowadays will be like what are you talking about shrine of amana was fine no you don't understand okay when we played shrine of amana you couldn't see shit in the ground so you didn't know if it was safe to walk on the water. Every step you took on the water was a gamble. It was terrible. It was terrifying even. Like you're, you're walking up, your camera's just like panned down the whole time and you're pulling out all sorts of light sources. Like you're running around with torches and everything. Just I got to make sure that I can see so that I don't take the wrong step and fall and die. But Rui, don't you love a monochrome color palette that's just different shades of gray? No, it was <laughs> terrible. And no, I... the 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 sniping enemies in that zone just being under constant bombardment for enemies that are oh, out yeah. of lock-on range. Yeah, much less like just misery. Yeah, that that zone I did not like at all, but it was not the biggest deal because I remember after I did it the first time, every other single time I was like, okay, I'm just going to run through this. Screw this. I, I don't even want Sunlight Blade. Like Sunlight Blade was there. That's where Sunlight Blade was. I remember. Right. So I'm well, like, I don't even want this. Screw this. I always pick up all the shinies. Not here. <laughs> I'm leaving. Okay. This place sucks. Well, and then you get into the game design question of, well, if all the developers accomplished was making you want to skip a zone and not interact yeah. with anything there, did they really achieve what they were going for? Was that the intent? Was yeah, to make was you just want to be done with the zone right away and not do anything, not interact with anything? It was weird because in the grand scheme of things, after, I think it was uh, after they did some visual touch-ups on that zone, because I know that they've done quite some work on that zone post-release. The zone actually looks fine, and you can actually tell a little bit better where it's safe to walk and where it's not safe to walk, even though it's still not perfect. You're mostly like uh, camera in pan Scholar, down. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in Scholar it was, it was better, but you're still mostly just like camera pan down, looking down while you're going through the zone. Yeah. Uh, I think the zone itself is actually not too ugly, but it's just a strange zone to navigate, and it's... It doesn't have like that Dark Souls level design. The levels were way too big, way too linear, which was not as interesting as previous Souls games, which was kind of like corrected in some of the DLC. They, I, I think they had a little more time to work on the DLC. There's yeah. a, um, there's actually a video that I helped make. Um, it wasn't one of my videos. I, I don't know. I, 
Are you all right with me mentioning someone else's of course, channel here? Dude, of course. Shout everybody out. I, I'm not I'm not like, oh, no, I'm the only content. No, I don't care. Shout everybody out. It's all good. Okay. Um, because I um, there's a really good video that uh, I contributed to, which is made by a friend of mine, one Matt McMuscles. I'll link it here for you in uh Okay, see, so it was everybody except that guy in specific. Okay, I hate that guy. <laughs> right of course um, so i don't know if you want to link this in the podcast description so that people can see for themselves but um we we covered quite a lot about the development process of dark souls 2 and what went wrong and and some uh insights into why the game turned out the way it did and this is going to give our listeners i think some really important context for why you and I feel the way we do about Dark Souls 2. Um, and I just, I think back to the trouble that game had during its development where they tried, for example, instead of using the original engine, they tried to build a new one from the ground up and they ran into all kinds of problems with it. And it turned out to be a really good engine, except that the hardware wasn't powerful enough to run it properly. Oh, yeah, because that was a PS3, Xbox 360 game. <clears throat> that's correct, yes. Uh, and there were a whole lot of issues like that that really got in the way. And um, because of those issues, the game ended up... Uh, the, the, the devs ended up having to spend so much time just getting it to work that they didn't get to spend the time on refining it and so you end up with situations where there are r levels that are completely linear like yep. Aldia's Keep that are just a straight line um, and the Shrine of Amana has that problem to a lesser degree too where um, it's just there's none of that shortcut porn as we like to call it that you know Dark Souls 1 and Demon Souls had and that they brought back you know in Elden Ring even yep. um there's there's you don't see those design elements because the the direction just wasn't there and they didn't have time like people meme on Yui Tanimura for um being a bad director Yui Tanimura to, saved that game Yeah he had to salvage what was left to him by Tomohiro Shibuya Yeah exactly when Shibuya was replaced as the game's director halfway through the project It's because it's it was, funny Yeah it's funny because a lot of people have that idea of Yui Tanimura that he's not a good director. When I I remember covering the stuff with uh, some of the things that the other director was saying, and I remember covering the news around Dark Souls 2, and I was like, there's something wrong with this guy. Like, this guy's got some crazy ideas that are not good for this game. I don't, I don't remember yes. what, what his name was, but then, but then I remember Yui Tanimura came in and everything that Yui Tanimura was saying was just like, bam, 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 it's all good. And I was like, oh, okay. I actually got to interview Yui Tanimura in oh, the- Oh, you did? Yeah, in the E3 that was before that one. 2014? Yeah, it was, I think it was 2013, I think. Ah. I'm not 100% sure. Because what happened in that E3 was that I basically parachuted to E3. I did all the preparation one day before I left, which oh, was ridiculous. God. Yeah, I, I I told you that story before, and I've told everybody that story, so I, I don't want to retread yeah. that. But like, the the idea was, the, the company that I was with, which uh, at the time was, um, it was called the Game Station. They were actually doing a rebranding where they became Polaris, and oh, you know, I that was what turned into Polaris TGS. Yeah, 
Yeah, the game station oh. turned into Polaris. I was actually at the party where they did the rebranding, which is no funny. kidding. Yeah, I got I got to meet like, uh, for instance, Joe Vargas from Angry Joe. Uh, yeah, okay. Jesse Cox, uh, Dodger. I, I was there. <laughs> Did you meet Dave Klein by any chance? Dave Control? Did you know him at all? Uh, no, I didn't know him. I don't know if I met him. If he was at he, the party, I probably did. <laughs> he might have been after the time you were working there because he was there when it was Polaris. Um, yeah. I was just curious. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't working for them. I was just like a, a content creator. But the thing was, because I just parachuted onto E3, what I did was they had this camera crew that was running around. And I was like, mm. well, I just want to learn how this whole thing operates. So I just basically, I go to like the, you know, the the team leader kind of that that camera crew is a really awesome guy, Jason, super mm. awesome guy. And so I was like, hey, can I just like tag along with you guys? And I just like followed them everywhere. <laughs> and that's how I learned how to actually navigate through like a convention and the type of stuff that you're supposed to be doing. And he, he taught me so much. It was insane. But basically... They had a scheduled interview with Yui Tanimura, but, you know, they're a camera crew. They, they got like some questions that probably somebody gave them or whatever, right? They're good at production and doing videos. And I was like, uh -huh. hey, can, can, I, can I just do the interview myself? Like, I'll come up with the, I got everything, okay, listen. That's incredible. So I did that one and I, I did a bunch of other interviews. Like I convinced them, which was not a part of their plan, but I was like, guys, listen, we sh there's this new game out. I think this is going to be a big game. It's called Warframe. At the time, nobody knew what Warframe was. And I was like, we should probably interview these guys. And then interviewed also Greg Kasavin, who the, from um, Giant Game, Giant Games? I think it's Giant. called it's not Super Giant. Giant? Super Giant. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. From, from Super Giant. At the time, they were working on Transistor. And I was like, oh, man, I want to interview those guys because their other game, Bastion, I love that game. So uh, yes. I, mm -hmm. I convinced the crap out of them to like interview a bunch of more people, uh, which was it was really cool. But I got to do a couple of uh, interviews and I got to cut my teeth, so to speak. So, yeah, I got to interview. <laughs> it was actually the first interview I ever did to a developer, I think. Was, was Tanimura? Tanimura. <laughs> yeah, Holy hell, so man. You started big. <laughs> <laughs> that That interview is still on my channel. Like, I think almost nobody watched it. Uh, but like, basically, I, I asked uh tgs polaris i asked them hey can i get like the the raw footage from all those interviews and stuff and they're like yeah sure just say that you should you got leave that in the description of this podcast so people can go back and watch it <laughs> dude there's you never so know you'll many. maybe you'll get a hundred thousand views now 10 years later <laughs> <laughs> like like here here's another interview that i did which i think was actually later that year i went to gamescom and i interviewed palmer lucky really yeah do you, you know who that is I've heard the name. The um, Oculus I, guy. Oh, yes. Okay. No wonder. It was like, dude, it was like a tiny little booth that they That's had why I don't in the business it. area. They were super tiny at the time. Yep. But, but yeah. Okay. I, got, I got to interview Palmer Lucky as well. It was insane. It was a 2013 was a friggin' crazy year. That's but, incredible. But circling back to, to the Dark Souls 2 conversation. So yes. there was the whole movement thing. Then there was the dubious hitboxes, like, if you've ever fought the ancient dragon, bro. Uh-huh. Okay, the hitboxes of the ancient dragon, bro. <laughs> like, get the hell I, out of here. That was I so wrote bad. the boss strategy for the ancient dragon in oh, the Dark please, Souls 2 guide. Please tell me, what was the strategy for the ancient dragon? <laughs> 
I want to know. Do you have a do you have a long range character? No, you're going to have a real bad time. <laughs> it was the strategy. <laughs> I meleeed him the first time around. It was so bad. Good lord. Yeah. Like he would be stomping on the opposite corner of the arena and kill me and I was like, "Wait, what? Wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> what do you mean?" Are you are, are you too close to the epicenter of his aerial fr- flame breath? Well, I uh, hope you've got fire bad. resistance. Good luck. Yeah, you're done. Yep. It was that was a terrible boss fight. But yeah, there was that. Uh and yeah, th- those were kind of like the problems. I just felt like the game uh overstayed its welcome significantly. Uh, oh yes. And, you know, then we have the the DLC. Most of the DLC I was fine with, uh minus frigid outskirts and there's one more that I'm going to bring up. And this is like the last complaint that I that I have. I could probably bring up more stuff, but it's been so long ago. But like mm. this was a big complaint for me and it really pissed me off. Uh Halone. You remember Halone? Halone. He was like the big samurai boss, super big katana. Oh, Sir Alon. Yes, it's, okay. So it's it's pronounced the lawn. I never I never know how to pronounce these things. <laughs> no, yeah. that's that's quite all right. Yeah, that I'm going by the katakana spelling okay. of his name but yes halan and halan was a cool fight you know it wasn't cool trying to get the special death animation no the run back oh right yes that was, yeah i think that <laughs> was the worst run back in any souls game ever it pissed me off so much that i was like you know what i'm just gonna grab two summons kill everything mm-hmm. Take those summons into the boss, kill him, never come back here again. And that's exactly what I did. Because, like, they had those knights that would run you down, and they would run faster than you. Yep, they move faster than a player character. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't outrun them, and they would just be constantly poking at you until they would kill you. And I was like, well, this is garbage. Like, I don't want to fight them again, because I remember them taking too long to kill to begin with, because they have so much bloated HP. So I was like, I don't want to have to fight them again. I just want to go fight the boss. So I was like, well, screw this. I'm going to get two summons, kill all these dudes, and then kill the boss with these summons and be done. And that mm-hmm. was Alon. Don't forget the, uh, the gigantic flame salamanders throwing fireballs at you from the sides of the yeah, room. I remember there's a <laughs> bunch of crap in that, in that thing, but the thing that bothered me was just yeah. the dudes running after me that would not stop. Yep. Yeah, that was, there were a lot of really questionable game design decisions that were particularly made with the combat design. And you see that kind of evolve or, uh, in my view, devolve over the course of the series where um, in Demon's Souls, it was a little floaty, but it was still fairly responsive. In Dark Mm -hmm. Souls 1, it was nice and snappy and you felt like you had really good control over your character. And then in Dark Souls 2, it was like, why is my character moving like a balloon being blown in the wind? Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Like just, and then it, it kind of went downhill from there. Uh, Dark Souls 3's movement was okay, but the combat, it was like you were a Dark Souls character that was having to fight bloodborne enemies that flailed around and spammed and, you know, that you, you weren't meant to be able to anticipate but you didn't have the quick step from Bloodborne that had all the iframes to help you deal with that. Um, I didn't. I didn't feel that badly about Dark Souls Three. I personally really enjoyed Dark Souls Three overall. Like, did you? Yeah, you didn't like Dark Souls Three that much. 
it was an improvement over Dark Souls 2 in some ways, but I felt like it was a, another step in the wrong direction with their combat philosophy. Hmm. Interesting. But I suspect probably you and I may have different ideas of what combat philosophies are enjoyable and what aren't. Because Elden Ring, I felt like, was another step in the wrong direction with the combat, where they relied so heavily on input reading and deliberate bait and moves that were meant to be unanticipatable uh, and that were meant for you to have to just memorize every minor variation of a move that has three or four variations that all look almost the same, you know? Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that concept. And it's like, I feel like in Dark Souls 3, it didn't bother me that much. Uh, the way that, you know, the way that we're talking about the, the combat and having to kind of like anticipate stuff. But then hmm. again, I always play with shields. I like playing with shields, so that's right. Usually, Iron I just, breaker I just, that you are. Yeah, exactly. Usually, I just bring <laughs> up the shield whenever it's something that I don't know what the hell is going to happen, and I'll just try yeah. blocking it. So, it's whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not really a big deal, but it's like I don't want to dive right into Elden Ring just yet. I wanted to linger on Dark Souls Three a little bit longer. Sure, sure, and I mean, you make a good point about the shields as well, because. Other than in Bloodborne, where there were only two shields in the game, and they were really just meant as an yeah. afterthought. Um, shields are basically an I don't want to deal with this button in any Souls game. <laughs> exactly. And yes, they they definitely obviate the, um, the, the spamminess quite a bit. Um, if that's the kind of play style that you prefer, that goes a long way toward explaining why you and I don't have the same views. Because so I prefer the big two-handed weapon with no shield. <laughs> okay, big two. You you prefer two handing a big beefy weapon. I mean, I play with yes. I play with that sometimes as well. I didn't have too many problems in Dark Souls three, or being a I big cool mage. But that's also in many ways an I don't care button. Yeah, you just you know stand at a distance and delete things from afar. Yeah, you can also do it like that. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of combat, I personally don't see that many problems in in three because i just mm. felt like it, it's just a bit of a faster dark souls i still always go back to when it comes to the dark souls ones like dark souls one is still my gold standard i still prefer Same. that over all of the other ones i think the biggest complaint that i had when it comes to dark souls 3 is how restrictive it is to use the arts right because like you have these magical arts that you can use with you with your weapons but yep. then you're expected to put points into like mage type stuff to increase your uh, mana gauge. And I'm just like, I'm not doing that. Those are wasted stats for me. Why would I want that? Like, well, you want to use your ability more often? Yeah. Well, there you go. Go get some more mana or whatever. I was like, eh, I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely something they improved upon in Elden Ring with the Ashes of War system. Yeah. Um, and... That, that particular, the combat aspect of it, in my view, was not as egregious in Dark Souls 3 as it was in Elden Ring. Uh, they were, I think, still kind of figuring out what direction they wanted to go with the combat in DS3. But one thing I know that they knew full well by the time DS3 came around was that they wanted their games to feel more modern. And they wanted them to feel faster and more intense and more... Um, action-packed, maybe, is the right term. And that's why they doubled down on that combat philosophy of, you put it really well a minute ago, a faster Dark Souls, right? Yeah, 
it's it's a fast it is what it was it was kind of just because it, it, it was like you said it was kind of like dark souls but with the pacing of bloodborne yes except exactly. you have all of the other stuff that you have from dark souls where you can actually block you can you have the build diversity whereas in bloodborne the build diversity was more about hey which weapon do you like the most okay your stats going to be strength or agility or whatever depending on what weapon that was that you enjoyed the most now, when it came to mm. Dark Souls 3, I enjoyed the base um, game, and I enjoyed Ashes of Ariandel, even though I got really frustrated on the final boss. That final boss was no oh, joke. Oh, God. Yeah, that was... Hey, wow, guys, check out this concept that we brought back from DS1. Isn't it cool? <laughs> Didn't you miss it? <sighs> it, was, it, it, was, it was... But I still liked it. However... This is where things get a little bit controversial for me. I did not like Ringed City. That's controversial? Yeah, I feel like I know more people who disliked it than liked it. What? Dude, I've, I've been gaslit by my, by my community then. Everybody's always giving me crap over not liking the Ringed City. They say, you're the only one. Everybody loves Ringed City, Rui. It's just you. You're standing I, alone. It's like, I, bro, I hate the Ringed City. I don't like it at all. I think your community might be gaslighting you on that because... God Yeah, damn. no, you are, you're definitely not the only one. Okay, so did you like the Ringed City, you personally? I found it to be, in terms of the the combat design of the enemies there, I found it to be underwhelming. Uh, in terms of the aesthetic, I thought it looked pretty neat. But in terms of the story, it was more of that thing I can't stand where they were just doing a circle jerk of the DS1 story all over again, not even for the second time or the third or the fourth. I thought my my idea was that that's what most people enjoyed of the Ringed City was actually the story of it. So I'm not a big lore guy when it comes to Dark Souls. So let's focus more on like the combat and the gameplay. What did sure. you like about the Ruined City? Because I don't want to influence you. I want to hear you. No, first. no, that's so. Believe me, my opinions are already fully formed. I don't think you're, <laughs> I'm a. I'm an opinionated kind of guy. I don't know if you know this about me. Yeah. <laughs> you you don't have to worry about influencing my impressionable young mind or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm old and jaded enough that I don't think you have to worry. Um, I I do want to touch upon very briefly though, just that in terms of the story. That's, it's either a you love it or you hate it thing. Yeah. There are people who were so attached to the story of Dark Souls 1 that all they wanted was more. And then when the later games essentially ended up being official fanfic of DS1, people were like, yes, this is great. I love this. For me personally, I was just tired of it. You know, I wanted something okay. new, which is why I feel like DS2 and 3 would have been better off doing something original, telling a, a different story in the same universe. But as far as what I didn't like about the, the combat, you asked, or the... Yeah, the combat or the level structure, whatever you want to bring up. Okay, so the level structure, this is something Miyazaki himself has admitted to in one of his interviews about Elden Ring. And you probably have heard of this interview where he's, he goes, Well, I was working on Elden Ring and I found myself designing yet another poison swamp, but I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he admits it. He knows. 
Um, Listen, you got to have your poison swamps in the Miyazaki game, okay? It's that simple. <laughs> right, like, have you seen that meme where it's the, the crow that's up on stage doing a comedy routine, and it's looking at its notes, and it goes, poison swamps, and then someone goes, boo, get off the stage, and then it looks at its notes, and its notes are just poison swamp, poison swamp, poison swamp, berserk oh, no. reference, poison swamp. <laughs> No, I was not aware of that. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I'll, I'll try and dig it up for you after the podcast if I can find it. But that I felt like, look, man, I know you have a huge heart on for poison swamps, but come on. Like, I mean, at least the swamp in the Ring City wasn't actually poison. It wasn't poisonous. Yeah, I, I don't remember being poisoned in the swamp, but it was a swamp. No. But it was, it was like this gigantic area that impeded your movement and where there were a bunch of really annoying enemies, including yep. a reused, copy-pasted boss from the base game. Yeah, I, and, I, I remember something along those lines. Yeah, I remember not like yeah. the, the, the other thing was, my first playthrough, um, I was playing at New Game Plus, and I don't know if maybe it wasn't properly balanced when it came out or whatever, but... It was mm -hmm. miserable. It was it was really hard. No, I I think that's the intended balance because I remember that too. I remember. No, going it through... wasn't. It wasn't because they instantly nerfed a bunch of stuff like within the next couple of weeks. So I don't oh, know. Oh, did if... they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They. I mean, I remember it was like days after I played or whatever. Oh, by the way, we nerfed this thing and that thing and the other thing. I was like, oh, these were things that actually annoyed the crap out of me. But okay. Huh. Okay. Because uh, yeah. I remember it still. I I think I went back and played it long after the DLC came out. And I remember it still being in New Game Plus in particular because I was using my, my old character. Um, I remember the New Game Plus scaling of that zone. It was, uh, it was crazy, yeah. Yeah, it seemed to be much steeper than the rest of the game and even than Ashes yeah. of Ariandel. I mean, maybe that was just my imagination. Maybe that was just the Mandela effect or something. But, <laughs> um, but I, that was how I felt at the time. So... Let me tell you my thing. The thing mm. that the thing that I definitely did not like about the Ringed City, and and before before we even get to that, before the Ringed City, there was a live stream that I did of another game, which I rage quit. It's kind of relevant to what happens next. Okay. Did you play Neo? <laughs> did I play Neo? Okay, yes. so. I worked on the official strategy guide for Neo that didn't end up coming out because oh. they added so damn many loot tables worth of items to that game <laughs> because of the Diablo-style loot system yeah. that in order for us to cover all of the possible drops, the guide would have been 1,600 pages and we would have been inundated in lawsuits by people dropping it on their feet and then suing us for medical bills. <laughs> okay, so... So you yes, I have experience with Neo. <laughs> you played Neo. Did you play the first DLC of Neo? Yes. Okay. So in the first DLC of Neo, the very first level. Okay. Now I'm someone who really enjoyed Neo. I thought it was great. I'm not a huge fan of like the Diablo type loot system, but it doesn't bother me too much either. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing that first DLC. I'm going through the level. And, you know, I was like, oh, let me check out some of the new weapons. So my build is not super optimized because I'm also testing out new weapons and whatnot. I'm going through sure. the level. I'm using the the Tonfas, I think, which was one of the new weapons that was added. I'm pretty sure that was what I was using. So That's I'm going, correct. Yes, they were. So I'm going mm -hmm. through the Tonf with, with the Tonfas and I'm like, 
you know, beating through the level. And I get to this part where it's like, okay, now we're going to just rain arrows on you incessantly unless you hide behind cover. And I was like, oh, God, this this is miserable. I hate this. So I'm going mm-hmm. through, and eventually I get to a point where I, I don't know. I died like close to the end of it. I was like, I hate this. I get. I, I probably died a couple of more times because I was like getting really frustrated. And so I, I, I eventually I get to a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna beat this level because you know I still had that mentality of like I'm a good gamer. I know how to play video games. So I'm like, I'm gonna mm. beat this level. And after I beat this level, I'm turning off the stream. I'm done. <laughs> so I go through. That was actually one of the few streams ever that I privated afterwards because I thought it was a terrible stream. Oh. So I oh, go through. No. I beat the final boss just to show everybody that I can do it. And then I was mm. like, and I'm done. I'm not playing this anymore. And then I finish the stream and I private the stream. And then you know couple of days after ringed city comes out now what was the important thing from that neo stream that stupid ass arrow spamming garbage i hate i hate that i in already games. know what part of ring city you're I, going to be referring to here but go I on i hate that i i because like when you're playing a souls like i want to take my time i want to explore the level at my own pace i want to go yep. slow i want to look at every nook and cranny the first time i go around and then i don't mind even coming back looking at them again what I don't want is to constantly be rushed through the level. Now, it's okay if you rush me a little bit, like, oh, there's this mechanic. But it's just like that level of Neo repeated that like three or four times. I was over yep. it the first time around. And then I get to the Ringed City, and what do we get? Number one, you have these infinitely spawning tiny enemies that don't stop spawning until you reach a certain checkpoint in the level. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have the Gundam Angels that are shooting Gundam missiles at you nonstop. By the way, yep. these are the Gundam angels that was brutally nerfed shortly after I went through the DLC. Ah, uh, yes, okay, yep. And then, you know, there were three Gundam angels to which I found the anchors of two. One of them I didn't find, so I was basically forced to run through it the whole goddamn time. Then there was the sorceresses that would one-shot you. At least they would one-shot me in the character that I was playing. So mm-hmm. I go through all of that and then I get to the boss and it's a double boss fight. And I was like, no, that's fine. That's not really a big problem. It's just a little bit triggering because after everything that you've already get through, you get to the boss and it's a double boss fight. And I was like, all right, all right. That's Don't cool. you love Ornstein and Smo though? <laughs> They're amazing. No, but it's like, <laughs> that didn't even bother me that much. So I go through the boss, I beat the boss immediately after that boss what do you get okay by the way here's a bridge and here's like a million ethereal archers get fucked and i was like bro okay look you're pushing me through this goddamn dlc so hard first you push me with the the gundam angels i have to run through the whole zone then i have to run through this bridge that's chuck full of archers and once again it's like i'm in a war zone i'm not playing modern warfare over here i'm trying to actually explore this goddamn game right (laughs) And then, and then shortly after that, I get to a boss fight, which is one of those where you're supposed, you know, there's a chance that works like the old monk from Demon Souls. And I get invaded by a player that's naked and I slap him across the face with my big weapon and he dies. And I was like, this was a boss fight. <laughs> All right. Yep. And then I go and I fight Madeer. <laughs> I was like, God. That I, must have been whiplash going from a, a one shot on a noob in the 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 monk fight to Medir. Dude, 
I hate Madeer. I think Madeer <laughs> is a terrible boss fight. Like, you want to know how bad Madeer is? The weapon that I was using at the time, which was the Mildred Axe, because I liked it. Because, you know, I liked mm -hmm. the idea of, got like this character looks almost like a dwarven character. He's got his axe. He's got his shield. Yeah, you play your Iron Breaker. Yeah, exactly. Sure. The only problem, the axe can't reach Madeer's head. <laughs> <laughs> I physically can't hit this boss. Yup. So I have to go back, make a new weapon to go beat him. And then when I finally make my new weapon, I go back there and I have like this big two-handed axe, which was actually one of the new weapons as well. I think that was from Ashes of Ariandel. That was like Wars a new can weapon. use bows and arrows, right? No, we don't do that. No. <laughs> but uh, either way, so I grab like the elves this, thing. Yeah. yeah, I grab like this big axe. I run up to Madir. I smack him in his head. And he flies to a different zip code. And I was like, oh, all right. So I run back mm -hmm. up to Madeir again, smack him in the head again. He flies to another zip code again. And I was like, so wait a minute. <laughs> what is this fight? Is it just me running back and forth, chasing down this big evil dragon that can't seem to stand still for more than 30 seconds? Listen, See it's more cinematic that way. I hated it. And then, you know, I, I have I have a bunch of people telling me that like, oh, Dark Eater. Was it Dark Eater? Was his name Dark Eater? Dark Eater Madir. Yeah, yep. it was Dark Eater. Dark Eater Madir is like my favorite boss fight. And I was like, bro, what are you talking about? You just, yeah, those just, are the people who played mages. It, 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 he's just running the whole time. No, people tell me that what they did was like they got, they, they figured out the distance to bait certain attacks. And I was like, bro, I just want to hit the, I just want to bonk him in the head. Like, mm. what is this? Oh, yeah, you gotta gotta bait this attack and then bait that attack, and then it sees us like, bro, I, I just want to kill him. So basically, I killed him by running after him for like thirty minutes or something like that. That was me killing Dark Eater Madeer. And then we actually have the one good fight in that thing, which was Gale. Gale was awesome. I like that. That was cool. Ah, uh, yes. See, this this goes back to what I said before about how FromSoft wants to make their more their their newer games more action-packed and more modern and more cinematic. Even within Dark Souls 3, you can see examples of where they were more successful with that and less successful. Yeah. Um, Gale, I would agree, is definitely one of their better successes in DS3 with achieving that. Um, it's a very dynamic fight. It still has the combat philosophy in terms of the, the design of his moves and the way that you're supposed to deal with them that I personally am not fond of. But in terms of the atmosphere and the, um, the feeling of fighting him and the impact, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job with that. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But see, that's what I didn't like about uh, Dark Souls 3 was just that DLC. That was pretty much it. Other than that, I had a good time overall with it. But Ringed City, I only did once, and I never went back to do it again. That's all people, you need is once. Yeah, I had people tell me, oh, you got to gotta go back and do the Ringed City again. I was like, bro, I don't know. Listen, I'm too old for this, man. I don't want to go through that goddamn Gundam Angel nonsense plus the, the friggin' Bridge of Ethereal Archers because it's, it's just annoying. I just want to explore and have a good time. I don't need to be right? running from cover to cover like I'm playing friggin' Modern Warfare or something. It's weird. Well... That's you make a really good point there about the pacing and about the speed. And I think back to especially Demon Souls and, and Dark Souls 1 also is very relevant to that. Because the pacing of those games was slower, 
than than Dark Souls three at any rate. Dark Souls yeah. two had a fairly you know slow pace in its own right. It was but that, the slowest that was, one. Yeah, yeah that that was that had other issues that came with it, but the the balancing of the pacing in Demon Souls and Dark Souls one was such that you never felt like you were being rushed to progress, and part of that is. There are a lot of different side paths, Demon Souls especially, because it's a hub system, right? Like, yeah. you know, pick pick one of five and just go. Um, you know, you're never hurting for choice. Dark Souls 1, still to a degree, because you start off in Firelink, and then there are several different directions you can go from there. You can go down to Blight Town, you can go up to the Undead Burg, you can go into the Catacombs, you can go into New Londo. Try to um, guess try to guess where I went the very first time that I played that game. I'm gonna guess the same thing everyone did their first time where they went straight to New Londo, found out they couldn't progress the hard way <laughs> yeah, exactly. and died. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> That's what we all did. Mm, it was fun times. Yep. Hey, what's this cool area? Ghosts? Oh no, why can't I hit them? Oh, I, I guess I'm dead. Uh-oh. <laughs> Whoops. This doesn't appear to work. I, th yep. I, I think that I had a friend of mine who was a pyromancer. I think that he could hit ghosts with pyromancy back then. I don't know if they've changed that since then or not. Well, I, if you found the um, the the first couple of curse items in the beginning no, of no, the zone. But, but he could hit them with pyromancy without using cursed items. Really? Yeah, I, I maybe I'm misremembering, but I think he could. I remember I, him hitting stuff with pyromancy. Uh, maybe 1.0 DS1 was a whole different animal yeah, than, than what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to say it's completely impossible because there was some weird stuff in 1.0. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's like Dark Souls three. Um, mm. you were saying something about combat and Elden Ring. You did, you didn't gel with it. So, there were a, a few things they did with the combat in Elden Ring that were, I guess, the the natural progression of their combat design philosophy in Dark Souls 3, where, let me give you the best example I have, and this, I think, will help drive it home for you. Um, you know, the we ended up calling them Guardian Lions, I think, in the strategy guide, um, but the, the giant lions that have blades attached to their front legs... Uh, I think the I know first what one you're you run into about. is in Stormvale Castle, guarding the bridge. It's just it's been a while since I've played Elden Ring, but I think I have an idea of what you're talking about. Yes, they move. Let really me see fast. if I can find a picture. They move. They move really fast, from what I can remember. Yeah, they they move fast, but their fast movement wasn't the problem. Here we go. It was this guy. Wait, I think I, I think I remember. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's he's in that zone that's full of like crossbowmen and whatnot, and you have to fight. Yeah, for him. yeah, yeah. yeah. This I remember dude. These. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what will happen with this enemy? Uh, this is the most blatant enemy about uh, input reading in the game, other than NPC invaders. So because what he's, this guy he sees when you're when you're drinking right and he attacks you every time you're drinking a lot of enemies oh not do only that. that not only that so the their philosophy with using input detection now everyone in the comments is going to be saying yeah but every game uses input detection well yes every game uses it to a degree but some games over rely on it some games use it way too much 
and they use it as a cheesy, cheap, lazy solution to adding challenge, where they're adding challenge that is artificial and that does not feel fun. So what I'm referring to here is you can be locked on to a completely different enemy and one of these guardian lions can be just walking around. All it has to, to do is to be aware of your presence. Uh, this happened to me once, and this is what really drove it home for me, was I was in Stormvale Castle, and I was shooting arrows at one of the soldiers in the area where the guardian lion is after having taken a few pot shots at the lion to bring him over and to see if I could hit him. Well, even under normal circumstances, the guardian lions will auto-dodge any ranged attacks that you use. They will uh, read your inputs and auto-dodge any kind of projectile you throw at them that is not one of the projectiles that's capable of defeating auto-dodging behavior, like a delayed projectile. Um, well, it's not just that they'll auto-dodge, but this guardian lion was auto-dodging my ranged attacks when I was shooting at a different enemy. <laughs> Like it was, it was performing a dodge animation in time with my shots at a soldier. <laughs> That's what and, you get for trying to cheese the zone. You were trying to outrange everybody. That's not fair. Oh yeah, no. It's why wouldn't I be allowed to use a perfectly legitimate strategy? Oh, are you a mage? <laughs> Fuck you. Everything's gonna dodge every spell you cast, <laughs> uh, except for the spells that are expressly able to thwart auto-dodging behavior because they create a cloud of slow-moving delayed projectiles or they create a quick projectile that activates after a four-second delay so you can only use those projectiles against these enemies like that problem, that is what pisses me off the problem with that particular situation is uh where does from software go from here because like let's put it like this Players have now experienced the original Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, uh, Bloodborne, Sekiro by the time that this game comes out. And mm. it's like a majority of the Souls player base is now way more experienced. We've become way better at the game. You can't just have the standard difficulty of Dark Souls 1 because everybody's going to walk all over it. So they need to come up with solutions to make things hard. And it's like one of the things is definitely countering your range strategy there. I didn't experience a whole lot of that because usually I'd be going in melee. So, you know, that doesn't affect me very much. So I, you know, that didn't bother me. But I can see where it gets frustrating if you're trying to play as ranged. But at the same time, you're playing as ranged. That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets into questions of game balance, of course. And you're right. Yes, it's it's absolutely true what you say that, yeah, there is a whole subset of people who have played Souls every installment, uh, probably even since Kingsfield, if that even counts, yeah. but, and who now, you know, if you put Dark Souls 1 or Demon Souls in front of them, they will eat it for breakfast. However, this gets into the question of, well... Who are Souls games actually for? Are they for one subset or another, or are they for everybody? You know? And this is a question I don't even have a good answer to, because logically, yeah, they should be for everybody, but how do you design a game that way? Right? How do you design a game that has a level of I challenge that's approachable? Hmm? I don't think that Souls games are for everybody, though. Well, that's the thing, is that's why I don't have a good answer. Yeah. I mean, they're for people who, who like the challenge. Yep, 
exactly. And there are people who are going to bounce off of them, of course. So it's just like as I, the, the, yeah. thing, the thing that bothers you is going to bother you, and it's going to bother more people for sure. But like, for instance, for me, it wouldn't bother me. It's like, okay, so he's dodging every one of my arrows. Fine, I'm going to go up to him with a big hammer, and I'm going to cave his skull in. <laughs> Dodge <laughs> this. You know? Right. And and there there are ways, there are like cheesy ways to, to deal with it as well. I don't remember every single one, but like you had Mimic Tear, if you wanted, if you really wanted to go off, which they nerfed. Uh, but you had mimic tier. You had like you know other summons that you can use. There's there's actually quite a bit of dynamic difficulty in this game that makes it a lot more approachable through other means. It's just like hey the the whole the old outrange them with arrows. That's not going to work with this particular well, enemy sure. at least. Yeah, no, I I don't have a problem with the difficulty. I mean, I've played every Souls game yeah. since they came out, and you know I agree that for practical purposes, a Souls game is not a Souls game if it doesn't have the right balance. But here's where we get into the issue of balance, right? Because there's this old, um, there's a really good comic, which uh, you're probably familiar with Dwarf Fortress. I imagine you must be. Nope. No? No. Okay. I don't so, consume a lot of comics, unfortunately. Oh, that's all right. So there's a um, there's an old comic for Dwarf Fortress that was meant to make a point about the, the balance of difficulty and the uh, just how the, the difference between good balance and bad balance. And I have a, an image of it here that I'm going to link for you. Um, and you might be able to, you might be here. I'm going to put it in Discord. You might be able to link it in the podcast description so other people can see it. But it's this. So... This is basically a comic that was originally drawn in reference to Dwarf Fortress. It's a comic, for those in the, the audience, it's a comic with three different scenes. A comic in which a, a guy goes to a restaurant and uh, oh. at the top, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm familiar with this concept. That's the whole thing of, uh, you know, whenever somebody is playing a game and that it's a casual game and they get served just, it's just like a regular meal. Then on a hardcore game, the waitress is taking the fun away. And then on Demon Souls, there's just a full-on demonic creature beating the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah, so the, the concept here is, with casual games, this uses the metaphor of a restaurant. In the casual games column, a guy goes to a restaurant, he places his order, the waiter shows up, hands him a platter of fun, the guy sits down at his table, he eats his platter of fun, and he smiles. And that's that. Right, you, you had some fun handed to you, that's well and good. The hardcore games column, the guy goes to the restaurant, the um, the waiter brings out his fun and then holds it above his head out of reach. And he's trying to grab his fun away from the waiter. He finally takes his fun away from the waiter, stabs the waiter to death with a knife. And he's sitting there at the end eating his fun that he had to put in a little bit more work to earn. Right. And then I believe the original version of this comic uses Dwarf Fortress as the title of the third column. In this version of it that I found, it's Demon's Souls. But in this column, the guy goes to the restaurant. The menu is like 15 pages long and he can't tell what's going on. The waiter's eyes are glowing red. And then in the next scene, the guy is being cut in half by a giant insect monster at his table. Game over. Try again. Yes, no. After that, he was beaten to death by a giant titan and pieces of him are, are all over the place next to the broken table. Game over. Try again. Yes, no. The scene after that, he's been... 
he's had an axe stuck through his head by a bunch of goblins. Game over, yes, no. The next scene, he's been eaten by a dragon. Uh, and then he cuts his way out of the dragon's stomach with a um, the dragon's heart, which has the word fun on it. And he's finally earned his fun. And then in the next scene after that, it ends with him sitting on a big demonic throne with giant piles of boxes of fun all around him. And the premise here is all of these kinds of games are fine. They all give you fun in a different way. It's just that the, the more you have to put into earning your fun, the more fun you get out of it because you can mash a few buttons and beat a boss in a more casual game. And then, Hey, you've earned your cutscene. Cool. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But in a souls game, you go through the, you know, the patterns of you fight the boss, you dodge the attacks. Maybe you dodge the attack real good. Maybe you eat an attack to the face and you have to recover from having five HP left, but you did it. You killed the boss and you did that work. You learned the boss pattern you did the thing, you did it good, you earned it. You don't get a cutscene for beating the boss, usually. Sometimes you do, but you get the boss's you did soul. It. You get the boss's soul, or you get an item that's yeah. really good, and you have the satisfaction of knowing this game was not handing it to you. You had to take that victory. Which and is a you good did thing. It. Yes. Yeah. Now, the thing is. The difference between feeling like you earned that and feeling like you had to cheese it comes back to this, this example with the guardian lion where, okay, yes, this enemy knows how to deal with my ranged attacks. Um, it, it deals with them in a way that is very blatant and cheesy. And yeah, there are a few things I can do to get around that, but okay. So instead of using regular projectiles, I stood there and cast ancient death rancor on it and then killed it that way. Uh, okay, well, I beat it, but I, I didn't really have to apply any impressive strategy to do that. I just used a different projectile that was better at dealing with auto-dodging enemies. You know, and that that's the kind of thing where I feel like they could have done it better. And yeah, you can go in and melee it, Absolutely, you can. And if you're on a melee build anyway, that's what you're going to be doing regardless. You get to, you know, experience the play style of being up close and fighting it, learning its patterns. Okay, no problem. That's good. But balancing a game so that it's still fun to play as every possible With archetype. With all of these different play styles. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah. Hard. It's something that FromSoft, I feel like, still needs to work on. But the thing is, you're never going to be able to, to get it perfect because, like, for instance, one of the things that I found interesting in the discourse of Elden Ring was the people that started saying, well, you didn't really beat it if you used uh, summons. Oh, and God, that, right. I, I, yeah, thought, that's... <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. These were the same people that were running around with whatever the name of that katana was, the Rivers of Blood or whatever. Oh, Rivers that... of Blood, yeah. No, no, that was that was another one that you could get even earlier, the Moonlight. Oh, Moonvale, yes. Moonvale, Moonvale. yeah. And the, which is like, oh, yeah, this thing, it just, like, attacks from range, bleeds, does all of these crazy things, destroys bosses in seconds. See, this, I beat a boss. But somebody using like a regular ass broadsword, because they used some summon, they didn't beat the boss. I was like, bro, get off your high horse, all right? It's not a real playthrough <laughs> if was, you don't do it with no weapons, no levels, it was, no, it, it bare was, fists only. 
It was funny because I would tell people, look, do you understand how busted combinations are with like ice weapons and bleed weapons? If you're going to take away summons, then you also can't use ice weapons and bleed weapons because they're too powerful as well. People are like, no, but th this is fine. It's like, oh, this is fine. Like some bleed weapon that trounces one third of the boss's health in like a couple of seconds. That's fine. But summons is where we draw the line. Or, for instance, oh, let's just get that, uh, there was that potion that you could make, which gave you infinite mana for a couple of seconds. Combine oh, that yes. with Comet Azure, where the boss can't even move, yeah. and that's a valid kill. But I'm summons, a fire in my laser. <laughs> but summons, uh-uh, no. can have that. I, I, <laughs> it's like, get the I hell think, out of here, dude. I think this irrational stigma with summons comes from the mentality that, you did it yourself versus you had help. You had another person standing there with you. And that's not any more rational than you used an unupgraded broadsword versus, yeah. oh, you used the Sword of Night and Flame before it got nerfed. Or, right, you, you used the Comet as your, you know, exploit. Yeah. But um, it's, it's nonsense. It, the correct answer is you play the game the way you want to play it. Yeah. And either the game works with you and gives you the leeway to do so, or it fights you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. If there was, if there was one complaint that I had with the, um, with the combat of that game, this was something that was patched shortly after I finished the game though. So it's probably fine by now mm -hmm. was the recovery time for the jump attack with big weapons was too long. I believe they, they did decrease yeah, that. They shortened yes. that. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's good now. Because I remember mm -hmm. that a lot of times, because I was using two big, beefy two-handers to beat things down to a pulp, I'd be like, mm -hmm. yeah, jump attack, slam, jump attack, <laughs> slam. This is fun. But a lot of bosses would be like, oh, they recover just a little bit too fast. I can't really use my attack. This is weird. Yep. But yeah, Which, they, they upgraded that. That shows me that FromSoft is trying. Yeah. You know, like it, it shows me that they, they do want to achieve a good balance to make every play style viable. Um, and, and I'm encouraged by that. You know, I appreciate that they care about that. Um, really, for me, it comes down to sometimes just a difference of opinion with FromSoft over how best to achieve that. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's their game. Who the hell am I? You know, <laughs> I, I still loved Elden Ring. I thought Elden Ring was friggin absolutely phenomenal by every conceivable metric i think it's some of their best mm. work i i agree that they're definitely moving in the right direction in many ways with elden ring and i'm i'm curious to see where they go with it from here yeah because they're going to do shadow of the earth tree that'll be interesting which is coming out sometime next year as far as we know yeah probably we don't we don't know yet well, we hope <laughs> yeah we hope <laughs> um where, where do you land with bloodborne did you play a whole lot of it I worked on the official strategy guide for oh. Bloodborne. Yeah, I um I played a whole bunch of it. Um Bloodborne is I think the first real step they took toward that combat design of we want combat to be faster paced, we want it to be more dynamic, we want it to feel exciting and not just you block an attack then you hit the enemy then you block an attack then you hit the enemy or like that you dodge an attack, then you hit the enemy, then you dodge an attack, then you hit the enemy. Um, they wanted to make it feel less predictable. And that was where you first started to see that philosophy. I think there were a lot of things Bloodborne did fantastically. I think they nailed the aesthetic. I think the, the setting of that game 
is great. I think they made some really excellent system choices, such as making your equipment, your your clothing, not have any weight. Oh, that was so good. So that I can you just could wear just wear whatever I whatever. want. <laughs> yeah, and not have to worry about oh, does my equip load uh, support this this armor? You know, do I have to put more points into stamina to be able to wear this? No, you don't have. I'm I'm really really glad they did away with that in Bloodborne, and I kind of wish they had in the subsequent games as well. Um, yeah, the the weight system is very prohibitive into what you can use, but it is one of the few ways that they have to kind of dictate a how powerful is this armor? Because like most of the armors in uh, in Bloodborne, it was just like ah, just use whatever you want. It's not really a big deal unless you're well, super the- min maxing. You can kind of like use the the stuff that has more armor in certain situations, but eh. the reason why though, and this is something that I wish they had brought back, is that in Bloodborne. Any piece of equipment you wear will give you varying degrees, of course, but it will it doesn't use this really complex defense formula the way that Elden Ring does or that Dark Souls 3 does. Basically, any piece of equipment that you have, as long as you're wearing a piece of equipment in, in an armor slot, it that's all that really matters because they give you essentially flat percentage reductions to the different types of damage you take rather than going through this enormously complex formula of, okay, well you have your, your um, resistance number on your armor and then your resistance number from your stats and then eight other inscrutable back end variables that the game doesn't tell you about. Um, there are still some back end things going on, but they're nowhere near as complex and what it means for the player is that as long as you're wearing something, you're going to get some protection. Yeah. And they could have done that in Elden Ring rather than gone back to the old systems where no, the, an armor's defense is proportional the to its diversity. The the you know you didn't have as much build diversity on Bloodborne, whereas in Elden Ring that comes into play. You can play a more agile playstyle, or you can play a more bulky playstyle if you want to. I think that's fine. I guess, yeah, that's that's fair, I suppose. Of course, there's build diversity. Yeah, and I mean, Elden Ring did great with build diversity, probably better than any of the previous games. Oh, yeah. Um, especially because the Ash of War system exists. The Ashes exists. of War is so good. I love that. Right? The My only gripe about it is that there are weapons that you cannot use Ashes of War on, and that's a shame because the weapons that you can't change the Ash of War on tend to be the the worst ones that you would want to be able to make better with an Ash of War, you know, by customizing mm, depends, it. Depends on the weapon, but yeah, I can, I can see that argument for sure. Yeah, so, like, go on. So I'm, I'm curious, out of, out of all of the Souls games that you've ever played, which mm. one's your favorite one? You know, it's not original, but it's true. Demon Souls. <laughs> so you're a hipster is what you're saying it's like i liked it before it was cool <laughs> well i mean you, you could call me that and i'm sure some people in the comments will which i accept i'm not going to try to fight you but partly and i will admit and th- this is something that people throw around as a um a, a way of kind of delegitimizing somebody's preferences but th- in my case 
there is a little bit of nostalgia to it because it's the first Souls game I played. I was, I, w I had gone back to the United States uh, to visit my family and some of my friends from high school. Uh, this was in 2009, and I was with a couple of my high school friends, and we were in an EB Games, an electronics boutique, before they were bought out by GameStop. And I was looking at games with a couple of my friends, and we were like, hey, um, what could we play together that looks cool? And we were, you know, looking around, and I was sitting there looking at a copy of Bayonetta, and I was reading the cover of Bayonetta, and the clerk walks over, and he takes one look at me, he takes one look at the copy of Bayonetta in my hand, he takes the copy of Bayonetta out of my hand, <laughs> puts it back on the shelf, picks up a copy of Demon's Souls, oh my God. hands it to me, This man's says, doing the Lord's work. <laughs> he says, you don't want to play that, you want to play this. Oh and I was like, God. yes, sir, okay. <laughs> you clearly know what you're doing, so I will just shut my mouth, I will oh buy God. Demon's Souls. <laughs> That's and an the rest amazing is history. Story. Here Dude, I am. That man, that man single-handedly changed the course of my life. He did. <laughs> oh my god! The unsung hero. I wish I had gotten his name. I still don't know who the dude even was. Oh my god! That's but amazing. That that man single-handedly created the German spy you all know today. <laughs> oh my God. Just like random happenstance. You're looking over at Bayonetta and he's like, no, 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 listen, listen, this is yep. what you need. This right here. You need this some, man you need knew. some Miyazaki in your life. That's what you need. The, I, I feel like this guy had just gone to the fortune teller earlier that day. And they told him, look, there's going to be this kid who comes into EB today. Give him demon souls. That's what he needs. We need to put yes. him on the path. Like, th th that's the guy who deserves all the credit. Like, he knew about demon souls even before I did. And he put me on the path. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny because, like, with, with me, I, was, um, I didn't even have a console at the time. And I was really? at a, yeah, I didn't even have a console. And I was at a friend's house. And he was showing me a bunch of games and he was like, oh yeah, there's this really crazy Japanese game that I imported, dude. This thing is insane. Like you can leave messages and other people can read them. And when somebody <laughs> dies, there's like a blood puddle that stays in the world and I can see how they died. And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, and it's got co-op. And I was like, wait, it's got co-op? He's like, yeah, 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 you can, you can do co-op in this game and you can invade somebody else's game and kill them. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you can do what? This was such a foreign concept at the time for me. I was like, I came from like World of Warcraft of all things, right? It so, still sounds incredible to me to hear you describe it in exactly. his words now. Yeah, he was, he was telling me about all these things and I was like, what the hell kind of game is this? And he's like, yeah, this is Demon's Souls, dude. This is a real game for gamers, bro. This is like, this is a real <laughs> you know, Oh, that okay. That type of thing. I see. Like, this is a real game. And I was like, oh, wow. So at the time, there was, there was a time when I was like, oh, I don't feel like playing World of Warcraft because that's all I played. I only played World of Warcraft, nothing else. Mm. So I was like, I don't feel like playing World of Warcraft anymore. And I bought a Wii. I bought a Wii and I played like uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. 
I was like, this okay. is amazing. I love this. That's this a is good really one. Cool. Yeah, it's, I, I, a lot of people don't like that one for some reason. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. But, you mm. know, I played the Wii for a little bit, and then after a while I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to get one of, the, one of the big boy consoles, right? And so mm. I'm thinking, okay, so what am I going to get? Am I going to get the Xbox 360 or the PlayStation? And the, define, the deciding factors were Wipeout. I love Wipeout. Wipeout's amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. God of War which I also wanted to play and demon souls. Cause I was like, man, this crazy game that he keeps talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to get that game. I'm going to play it. So I, I got demon souls and we started playing it together. My friend hadn't finished the game yet. He was just like, cause he bounces off from all types of games. Mm -hmm. So we do a little bit of co-op in the game. And after I get my feet wet in the game, like within the space of like, a week because I, I i was working like a regular nine to five job at the time so a week is actually not that much time when you consider that you're also working right and yeah so it goes like, by and, quick yeah and in the span of a week i finished the game and i start a new character so that i could keep playing with my friends so i already have like my main uh -huh. character finishes the game and i still make another character to play with my friend i got so addicted i was like bro demon souls is amazing <laughs> but having said that my favorite one is still dark souls one I totally get it. Dark Souls 1 I is like my Dark strong Souls second. One. I like yep. Dark Souls 1 way, way more. It's it's my favorite one. Uh, and then after that, Bloodborne. I think Bloodborne mm -hmm. is still in number two. And Okay. I haven't made up my list ever since Elden Ring came out. Like I had a list before Elden Ring. I'm still not exactly sure where I put Elden Ring in the middle of that, but I'm still fairly confident with Dark Souls Bloodborne. As the first two okay. ones. Before that, it was like Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Bloodborne 3. Bloodborne 3. <laughs> Dark Souls. <laughs> Maybe Dark someday. Souls. <laughs> no. I'd rather them do something else. But yeah, uh, it was Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, uh, Dark Souls 3, and then Dark Souls 2. I think I've covered all of them. No, I'm missing Demon Souls. Crap. Demon Souls. Demon Souls would be before Dark Souls 3, I think. Okay. I don't so know. Sekiro, I, I all things considered, ranks pretty high for you. Oh, yeah. Like. I, lo I loved Sekiro. I thought Sekiro was amazing. I know that a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't have as much build diversity, but I love the freedom that you have with that game because a lot of people were still, when the game came out, like a lot of people said, oh my God, this is like so hard. This is so hard. And I make a guide and I'm like, guys, you know why this is hard? Because you're playing this like it's Dark Souls. You're like running in the ground, facing everything head on. Bro, I'm in the rooftops all day. I only come <laughs> down to brutalize people. Like Almost every single boss that I possibly can, I will take one of those little pips away from the get-go with some type of strategy that you can come up with. I was doing yep. all of the ninja stuff and people were just like trying to brute force and they're like, oh, this is so hard. It's like, no, you're playing it they wrong. They weren't using the deflection system probably. Uh, it was it was so fun i love that thing yeah like sekiro is a perfect example of what we were talking about before that FromSoft does their best work with a new, with IP, a new ip when they're not constrained yeah. because sekiro as much as it uses elements of soul's design and as much as you can make the argument that it kind of sort of fits into the the soul's franchise even though it's not technically a souls game um Sekiro was from soft exploring something very different that they wanted to do which was as you're probably already aware ascend up to tenchu yep 
And I, when I played Sekiro the first time, my overwhelming feeling was, oh, of course, this is if the Souls developer made a modern Tenchu game. And that actually ended up working surprisingly well, I felt like. Yep. Sekiro was a, a single playthrough game for me because there's no builds, you know, to, to speak of. You're a fixed character with a fixed set of abilities. But I did enjoy the one playthrough I did. I, I felt like it was well worth the time. I thought it was amazing. The, the crazy stuff that you could do in there, it was really good. I had an absolute yeah. blast with that game. I felt like the devs were having fun exploring new things that you could do that you weren't able to do in a Souls game with Sekiro, you know? The the rhythm that you were able to to get on with some of those bosses where you're just going like, ching, 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 the katana sounds just going completely wild with just like the parries. It just, it was so good. I haven't gotten another game that feels that exact same way with the, with the parrying system. The rhythm was my favorite part of Sekiro yeah. and actually... That's, I think, more than anything else, what's missing for me from the newer Souls games. Because if you go back and look at Demon Souls and Dark Souls 1, all of the combat was very rhythmic, right? Yep. The enemies, they, they wouldn't throw a combo at you that had five different hits that each had different timings the way they do in DS3 and especially Elden Ring. There was a rhythm to it, and depending on the enemy, you could take a look at a Black Knight with... um a one-handed sword, and you would know, okay, I've already internalized the rhythm of this enemy's attacks. Um, no matter what it does, as long as I get the rhythm right, I can fight it and deal with it. Yeah. Um, and it was that way to a large degree in Demon Souls as well, to the same degree, I think. And uh, it was in Dark Souls 2 where they started moving over from that philosophy to more of the philosophy of, no, you have to remember every individual attack. You have to memorize them. And it's that rhythm that they then kind of went the opposite direction with in Sekiro, and they made Sekiro all about the rhythm. Like, Sekiro is a rhythm game yeah. as much as it is an action game, you know? The, the funny thing about rhythm, like, is that um, they, there's this boss where somebody even made, like, an analysis on the music of it, this is uh, the dancer of the Boreal Valley in Dark Souls 3. Yes. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever seen, but there's like somebody made an analysis of the music because apparently a lot of people had some serious problems with this boss. And one of the reasons why people had problems with it was actually the music itself because the music, it was designed, at least it seems like from this analysis that somebody made in the video, the music was designed to throw you off because the boss would attack would attack you at weird parts of the music and it would throw you off your rhythm, which might have been an experiment that From Software even did. I don't know if that's the case or not, but when I saw the video on it by somebody who had like music theory and all of these things, I was like, huh, interesting. That's a fascinating idea that the, the music of the fight would be intended yeah. as a meta to make the fight more difficult? There's been, there's been uh, in, in other games, and sometimes even in, in Souls games, when there's a particularly challenging boss that I'm fighting, I will straight up, like, you know, for the stream and the recording, I will keep everything on, but for myself, I will turn off the game sound, and I'll put on, like, some other music in the background, and that will sometimes make it easier for me to defeat bosses. I agree. Yeah, I I tend to stream video games with the, the music off if it's a Souls game and I need to focus on fighting the boss. Yeah, the music absolutely can get distracting. Yeah. It's Yeah. I, 
the idea that that was done deliberately by the devs is interesting to me. I don't know if it was or not. Like I said, this is what this person was saying, and that's why that boss sometimes felt harder than it had any right to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like speculation, but it's interesting to think that maybe there's maybe there's a grain of truth to it. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's that, But the effect of the music is definitely undeniable. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, if the boss is fighting to a really fast rhythm and the rhythm of the music is really slow, which is the case with the dancer, like the, the dancer has this kind of slow, ominous, swelling sort of battle theme, but she's basically just a, a tornado of blades going all over the place. Yep. So there's definitely some dissonance there. It's uh, It's a lot of interesting concepts. Did you um did you play any of those uh any of those new Souls like games this year or not so much? It depends what you call a Souls like, um, because we we hear that term thrown around in reference to everything from Metroidvanias to puzzle games. Yeah. Um, I was I was talking so, about like say for instance Lies of P. I did play the demo of Lies of P. How'd you like it? <laughs> well because <laughs> i'm just i'm thinking about all the things you've told me up until this point you're just like you would hate lies of p well you hit the nail on the head yes <laughs> however credit where credit is due the team that made lies of p is uh, they're based in south korea right mm -hmm. so they uh they they bring a specific set of um, you know, cultural ideas and preconceptions to the development world, the same as any other dev team from any other culture. You see a lot of Japanese influences in FromSoft's games, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you, you see a lot of kind of subtle Asia-isms in, in Lies of P, if you know what to look for, particularly, and this is the one I think that probably everybody noticed more than anything else, particularly that in, in Asian languages, I know specifically in Japanese, but I, I'm also aware of uh, this being the case in at least Korean and possibly also Chinese. They love integrating little bits and pieces of Western alphabets and Western words into their own language and terminology just because it sounds exotic, it sounds cool, it sounds interesting. We do the same thing in the West where you might open a magazine and the magazine is written in, I don't know, English or um, I guess in your case, Portuguese. And um, But then there's a big kanji on a page as part of some ad, right? It catches the attention. It's, it makes it a little bit more um, unusual to the native reader, right? But it is really unfortunate that someone on the dev team of Lies of P decided that the best term for the different parts that make a puppet a puppet is P organs. <laughs> I knew that. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, he's talking about all this stuff and all I can think about is P organ. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a long road for a very simple point, but... Listen, man, I don't need my pee organs exposed on stream, okay? Like, I, I, I can't. I'll get banned. Uh, I mean, there was a short period where that wouldn't have been the case on Twitch. Well, <laughs> that's a different matter entirely. And then, then, Reed, did you catch that 
in the demo very briefly before somebody clued them in because they weren't keeping track of current events in the Western world. You know the bridge where you fight that donkey guy. Yes. You know how there's a, a puppet hanging from the archway and there's a sign on the puppet that in the retail version of the game says something like kill all puppets. Yes. In the demo of the game, that sign said APAB, all puppets are bastards. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> well, I found it interesting because that they would look to that influence at all, and that is where they would get their design choices. All puppets are bastards? I don't know what that's from. Okay, I I think I might not be providing a sufficient amount of context for no, this. No, you're, so, you're definitely not. I'm like, what, what's the big deal about all puppets are bastards? I don't understand. Okay, I apologize. So I, I have forgotten... <laughs> I've forgotten because you speak such convincing English that you don't actually live in the U.S. I, no. It's so silly of me. So there's this gets into um, uh, this gets into U.S. politics, and I'm oh, I'm going to keep no. it I'm going to keep it detail free. But APAB is a common refrain in um, it, it's it's based on. ACAB. All cops are bastards. Oh, okay. So they, what the dev team did okay, there I get, is... Okay, I get, I get the reference there because puppets would basically be policing the population and there's a bunch of police type puppets. So they just kind of like grab that and okay, I got it. Yeah, so they, they made that's a, a good, really that's tone a good change. deaf... <laughs> yeah, they, they made a very tone deaf design choice where someone Googled something from the US and, and was vaguely aware Ooh. that this acronym was being thrown around but it's in reference to um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, okay. people being murdered by police. Yeah. So they changed that in the retail version of the game. Good. And uh, yeah. And, and I'm looking at this in the demo thinking, wow. Yeah. OK. But it's like, listen, and, let me tell you. As somebody that played the whole game, not only played it, I platinumed it out of pure rage. Okay. <laughs> I platinum that game out of pure rage, as in like, I will not be beaten by you, god damn it. And mm -hmm. uh you would have not liked it, especially with the complaints that you have, because like the biggest problem, and it's like I think the team for their first ever attempt at a Souls like, it's one of the best ones out there. It's a fantastic yes. game. But the biggest issue that I personally have with it is that Initially, it almost feels like the parry window is too tight, but when you think about it, that's actually not the problem. The problem is the telegraphs are too tight, as in everybody suffers from what I call Margaret derangement syndrome, because you know that Margaret's mm -hmm. kind of like popularized the whole thing about, I'm going to hold my attack. I'm still holding it. You can come back yep. next week. I'll still be here. <laughs> so they do uh -huh. that. And then all of a sudden it goes like, bam, it's like out of yep. nowhere. And I a think that frame startup that you can't respond yeah, to. I, I think somebody actually even made a video on it saying that the comparing it to the average response time of a human and whatnot, it's you have to predict it. You can't really like react to it. I don't exactly. know if that's the case or not, but it definitely feels like it. And on top of it, there's a lot of puppets that straight up go off camera. 
right? Like they'll do an attack and they'll go off camera and they're like, oh crap, the attack is coming. So you have to instinctively parry it. And that mm -hmm. can get really frustrating, especially as you start progressing through New Game Plus. It is wild. But the story is really good. And the art of the game is also incredibly excellent. They were actually nominated for Best Art Direction, which I feel I like they, I feel like they could have won that because that was it was really good. I was impressed. They did a really good so job. So I I went off on a bit of a tangent about a couple of weird details, but I had I had been going to concur with the sentiment you just expressed that credit where credit is due. I have pretty much the same thoughts on the gameplay as you do, but the aesthetics and the the world design and the visuals for a, a team that had never done anything on that scope before they knocked those elements out of the park for sure oh yeah yes so what did you play this year uh well i played the demo of lies of p see because i only had about half the year to play anything other yeah. than elden ring because we didn't finish up the guide till june um so after that i was on twitter and I was thinking, well, what am I going to play next? Hmm. And then I saw a tweet from my buddy Rurikon. Uh-oh. And it was, it was a tweet with a clip of you thunder-waving some dude off a cliff in Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3. And, and that I saw was that. enough? <laughs> and I thought, huh, that looks like a fun game. I'll give that one a try. Oh, man. See, I, they didn't even give me a code for the game. Can you believe that? They didn't? No. They made you pay for it yourself? They made me pay for it. And I, and I bought, I actually bought the, they have like this physical collector's edition. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll throw some money. This game deserves it, dude. It's an independent developer. Like, they gambled they a do. lot. They've done so much. The game is insane. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, and the, the six years of early access clearly helped. And that's not something just any dev would do. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually happy that I never even played the early access because I got to experience everything fresh and it didn't feel like a grind. It was bad from a content creation perspective, but from an experience perspective, oh man, so much better. Well, but I mean, you got to upload your very first blind playthrough yep. of the game. I've, I've, I've been watching it. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> playing a bard is like the best thing ever. It was so good. I got... <laughs> I got so many bosses who just straight up kill themselves. Like, look, dude, how about, listen, how about you just stop living? And he's like, you know what? I think you make a good point. <laughs> it's so funny when that happens. Like, you know, I think you make a good point. Yeah, maybe I should just stop living. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Just, like, Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that caters to pretty much every play style and does it well. Like... You want to talk your way through everything? Great. You want to sneak past everything? Great. You want to kill everybody? You can. Yep. And you can suffer the consequences. The game won't try to protect you. Did you kill that really important NPC? Well, there goes that quest line. Good. Like, I love Larian for having the courage to do that. It is, it is like, really good. I had, like, two game overs where I just told a god, and I said, hey, you know what? I don't think you're a god. And the god was <laughs> like, okay. I wish you to die. And then I died. <laughs> there's, yep. just, there's just a lot of funny situations like that. I got one of the major bosses in the game to die by making him dance on top of grenades. <laughs> he was just throwing out all these grenades and I was like, okay, now you're going to dance on top of them. Enjoy. And it's, <laughs> the, he, had, he actually had an animation where he was just like sitting there dancing and then he died. And I was like, this is great. 
<laughs> I freaking love this. Oh man, like <laughs> I I think this game is going to be the template for D&D based games and CRPGs in general for a long time yet to come. Oh yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat the amount of detail that they've put into it. It is absolutely insane. Just some of the things they've thought of have been incredible. The only other one I can think of in that genre that I would argue is a pinnacle of its kind is Disco Elysium. Yeah, Are I've, you familiar? I've, heard, I've heard good things about Disco Elysium. I haven't played it yet, but I've heard very good things about it. Disco Elysium is essentially just a D&D campaign in a different IP. Um, and it handles it every bit as well as Baldur's Gate with uh, even fewer bugs. Yeah, Bald Baldur's Gate had quite a few bugs. And Baldur's Gate also had something which I found very interesting, which is I actually got to a point where I didn't enjoy where the story went. The main story. At what point was that? Like how far through the main story in general? Uh, it was at the end of Act 2. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like there's a... Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like get into spoilers, but there's a lot of stuff. I made a whole video uh, talking about that. It's like I enjoy every other story, like the character stories and all of that stuff, but the main plot itself goes in a direction that I did not like, and I feel like I didn't have control over where the thing was going. And that, I totally understand, and that yep. really. Ugh, it, bothered me because like because the problem is it's like in a regular game it wouldn't even bother me that much because like ah it's whatever this is the story they want to tell but in Baldur's Gate because you have so much control over every single aspect the moment they took a little bit of control away from me I was like I don't like it <laughs> I don't like yeah, this thing absence makes the heart grow fonder doesn't it yeah definitely <laughs> the moment they took just a little bit away I was like oh damn mm-hmm Yep, the moment you have a little bit of agency imposed upon you instead of just wandering around stringing up goblins by the short hairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I did got a goblin to just like go like, hey, why don't you, you should just stop breathing. And the goblin's like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's like that's The too fact bad. that they give you so many ways to do stuff like that, like literally talking a character into killing themselves is a yeah. thing you can do. What, what class it's, did it's, you play? Uh, for my main, you mean? Yeah. I went with a um, silver dragonborn sorcerer with draconic uh, ice ancestry to double down on, because I didn't know at the time that there were certain things that were missing from vanilla 5e that didn't make it into Baldur's Gate. Cause oh, you Baldur's expected like full everything from Dungeons and Dragons and you meted the crap out of your character? Well, kind of. You disgusted me, sir. Well, it was th that game was actually my first direct experience with Dungeons and Dragons. The only oh. other things I knew about D and D, I had like picked up peripherally by osmosis from other people. Oh, you did! But I'd never had a chance. You to never play it played myself. Dungeons and Dragons. Never played the tabletop form of it. No. Um, so, so I've done so much I, I, dumb stuff in Dungeons and Dragons. But that's exactly it. Is I'd heard friends tell me stories of things that had happened in their campaigns. And all I could think was, wait, you can do that in D&D? Well, of course you can. You it's can a tabletop yeah. RPG. You can do anything. Yeah. Like I had it's a- pen and paper. I had a, a friend of mine, we were, we were playing a game. I always like telling this story because it's freaking hilarious. I always played dwarves. And so mm. a friend of mine was like making fun of me and he was like, ah, I'm gonna, 
going to slap the dwarf in the back of the head. <laughs> and so he would slap my character in the back of the head. And I was like, yeah, do that again. And I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he's like, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. And then he does it again. And I was like, okay, I'm going to straight up draw my weapon and attack him. And so, you know, it was just going to be a, a fun thing. Like I was just going to hit him once, take a little bit of his HP away, and then we would heal him or whatever. The problem and then you was, that twenty. And I he rolled a died. twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a twenty, and the DM's like, "Oh, <laughs> this is a problem." So basically, Whoops. the DM's conclusion was, "Well, you chopped his hand off. <laughs> you can no longer wield two-handed weapons. Now you're forced <laughs> to have a shield on your offhand." <laughs> I was like, well, that was not really what I wanted out of that, but okay. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> he didn't slap me in the back of the head anymore, though. <laughs> I bet he stopped doing that real quick. That, that, that's the first situation I've ever heard of in which rolling a nat 20 was a disadvantage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that, that's the way that it goes when you start picturing all of the crazy scenarios that can happen. Like in one of our campaigns, we run a drug laboratory. You know, it's just like... <laughs> You can just come up with the most insane stuff and there's rules for it, you know? So it's like, whatever. Okay. We were selling drugs. I was cutting up because <laughs> we were doing like an evil character campaign. So I okay. actually had a butcher shop where I would cut people up and sell them as meat to the general okay. populace. <laughs> Sweeney Todd going on over here, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the type of freedom that you can have in Dungeons and Dragons, which is um, friggin' awesome incredible yeah. incredible yeah I, people in my community had told me about some of these kinds of things so going into it i wasn't sure what to expect and i thought i was going to go in and that there would be enough in the game to allow me to min max the hell out of a starting character once i'd gotten enough gear and it works out that in baldur's gate 3 you... there's enough gear for an ice oriented caster that you can just barely but that's what I did. I, I doubled down on the ice magic and uh, went for anything that boosted or added additional effects to ice spells. See, I, I think that Baldur's Gate 3 is at its best when you're not min-maxing a character. Like, yeah, you can min-max it if you play it like on the hardest difficulty or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I was like, no, I want normal difficulty. I'm just going to level a bard up to whatever the max level is that it's in the game. And it's just going to be like a pure bard build. I don't care about min-maxing. It's whatever. But it really opened up a lot of fun scenarios, especially with some of the other characters. Because, like, you saw me guitar string a, a dude off of a cliff. Imagine what I it, did, yes. Imagine what it was like with one of my characters. I also put a clip of this up where we killed the whole goblin camp. Mm -hmm. And then we found, like, one goblin celebrating drunk by himself. And I was just like, well, I mean, we just have to do something <laughs> about this. So... I grab oh, the bar man, the barbarian in my group, and she just grabs the goblin and throws them off a cliff. But it wasn't a very tall cliff. <laughs> so he falls down there, bleeds. And then what does he do? The AI of this goblin goes like, well, I'll, I'm going to go right back up there and give him a piece of my mind. So he climbs back up to where we were. <laughs> and then it's my turn again. And the barbarian grabs the goblin again, <laughs> throws him to the exact same place, and he dies. 
there's just so many scenarios that that go out like that that are just freaking hilarious it's one of the best games made in a long time i i love it i absolutely adore that there are so many ways to handle a situation um and then yeah you your clip of you um thunder waving that dude off a cliff was what made me aware of that because i didn't know prior to that that the game gave you that kind of freedom. I hadn't even looked at any of the footage of the early access because I hadn't heard of it until it, we started getting close to launch and people started talking about it. And then I saw your tweet and I was like, huh, I like throwing dudes off cliffs. <laughs> yeah, this sounds that like a sounds, fun thing. I could get behind that. <laughs> oh man. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, Thank you. Thank you for enlightening me to the fact that this would be a game I would enjoy. Because like I told you at the beginning, I got 450 hours out of my first playthrough. Jesus Christ, 450 hours. I did a lot of scraping, though. Like, I scraped and scraped for every quest, every piece of content, every item I could possibly find. Yeah, I, I didn't do that. I, I just, like, you know, I want to do the things that seem like fun, and then when I get to the end of it, I get to the end of it, and... Yeah, my, my ending, let's just say I was not the biggest fan of the ending that I got, but I can tell you afterwards because oh. I don't want I don't want to spoil stuff. But yeah, 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 that's fine. Fill me in later. I've, I'm very curious. Yeah, um, yeah. I my play style is much more, I, I don't know, analytical, and people make fun of me in the Souls community for stopping to talk about bricks for an hour. Um, th that's me. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that, you know, I, I kind of feel like a lot of times when you're playing games, it's also important to look at little details like that. I also usually try to focus on certain things that maybe some people would not pay attention to. And I just go like, oh, look at that. Look at that backdrop right now. It looks real nice. You know, mm. stuff like that, I think is important. <clears throat> I agree. And sometimes the devs go way out of their way to add little details that you don't notice unless you're explicitly keeping an eye out for them. Yep. So I have one more question for you, just out of curiosity, sure. because I of know course. that you also you've you've also played games like over the years that surprised me. Like I wouldn't have expected you to play something like a Persona game, because mm -hmm. like I was like, oh, he's more into Souls and that type of stuff. And usually, a lot of people they're when they're into Souls, they just like they do Souls and they do very little else. So it's surprising yep. to see you like play Persona. Eventually, Marcus, I also saw him play Persona as well. But I, I am curious, what is your Favorite game of all time? Oh, that's tricky. I think... I think it's a, a tie, a two-way tie between Demon's Souls and Valkyrie Profile 1. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Valkyrie Profile... Isn't that the one that is like 2D from Vanillaware? Or am I mistaking that? Enix. Enix and Triace, back before Enix merged with Square. Um, yes, it's a 2D sprite-based game. Uh, yeah, it was think, originally released on the PS1. Yeah. Yeah. Valkyrie Profile, first of all, the soundtrack was done by Motoi Sakuraba, who would later go on to do soundtracks for such notable games as Dark Souls 1. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this was back during his kind of, um, synth metal phase, and so... It has a really unique soundtrack, which is fantastic. Um, the sprite work is some of the best I've ever seen. The sprites are gorgeous. The backgrounds are gorgeous. It had that kind of PS1 era, almost Final Fantasy VII level of hand-drawn backgrounds. Mm -hmm. 
and um, above all else, the the most interesting and coolest thing about it was the combat system. Um, Valkyrie Profile used a combat system that I've only ever seen in the other Valkyrie Profile games. And then um, uh, Lab Zero used a similar combat system in um, an indie game that they released, which was... Um, God, I've forgotten the name of it now, even. It was uh, like a, a, a Hindu-themed indie game that mm. I played the demo of. Um, but what's so special about this combat system? So the combat system is... Uh, this is a shame. I played the full game of this this other game that I'm thinking of. Someone will remind us in the comments. It's the one that had Mike Z in it back before he was canceled. Uh, they depicted him as this big muscle man. Um, someone will know what I'm talking about, and they'll remind me. I've already forgotten because it was unfortunately kind of a forgettable game. But the battle system that uh, that came from Valkyrie Profile was... So you had your PlayStation 1 controller, right, with the four buttons, triangle, square, X, and circle. Mm -hmm. So in this combat system, you have four characters, each of which is assigned to a button. And so if you have your, your main character, the Valkyrie, assigned to the square button, pressing the square button will cause her to do one attack. And each character can do up to three attacks. They have a combo. And you can change the order of their attacks... And you can have them attack dynamically at different times. So if you have your Valkyrie, whose opening attack is a launcher that launches the enemies up into the air, and then you have a couple of archers with aerial attacks you or a mage that, with yeah. homing, yeah, you can combine your different characters' attacks with different timing and in a different order in order to, for example, launch an enemy up into the air and juggle it, or knock it down to the ground and OTG it a bunch of times. I'm, I'm or, smiling at the camera because everybody that is watching this right now already knows where I'm going to go next with what you just said. Keep going. I have a feeling I probably do too, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we'll see if we're right. So the battle system also, you, you can customize your party loadout from a number of different people, each of whom have a different set of abilities. There are heavy warriors, light warriors, archers, and mages. And you can mix and match how many of each one are on your team in order to do different setups. And then each character on a per character basis has completely unique attack animations and each hit in their combos has a completely unique effect, a, cle a completely unique range and a completely unique um, set of, of damage procs. So even if you have two light warriors, um, each one of them is going to have a completely different combo that is going to do completely different things. So there's an enormous amount of diversity and, um, uh, uh, like just team comp complexity to the combat system. And then there's a whole system of items and you can either have your mage use a spell automatically by hitting the assigned button for your mage, or you can open up a menu and have them cast a spell from their list. And there are buffs, debuffs, offensive magic, healing magic. It's, it's an enormously intricate system but when it all comes together, it flows so smoothly and it has so much customizability 
Uh, it is just incredible. I've never played anything else like it. So now you got to go and you got to play Xenoblade Chronicles. <laughs> okay. Was that I had what a you expected? That was where we were going. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to bring up Xenoblade. <laughs> You've ever played Xenoblade? I haven't. Oh, I haven't. Man. I know you're a big fan of it, you're but I've never played out it. That it's so good. Even though the the last one that they made out is actually my least favorite one uh, so far. Really? I haven't finished it, but uh, yeah, the previous okay. ones, huge fan. I love Xenoblade, and it you know in Xenoblade Two you can do exactly what you're talking about. It's like you have these combos that you do, wherein it goes like ah launch, and then you know first you have to like um, what was it? First you break them which uh, puts them in a, in a position where they can be toppled. And then after you topple mm -hmm. them, you can launch them. And then after you launch them, you can smash them. So it's, okay. it's kind of like a volleyball type of thing if you do all of the right attacks at the right time. And yeah. That does sound cool. I like the sound of that. Yeah. You, and you can do like these super... Con and, and Xenoblade 2, you could do like these crazy combos where you do that mixed with these elemental break things that you would do. It, it was... It was insane. It was one of the best JRPG combat systems, in in my opinion. But yeah, and then they they also have no a fantastic kidding. story. So yeah, highly recommend you eventually check out Xenoblade. But yeah. I will add it to my list. A recommendation <laughs> from you is worth two in the bush, or however that saying goes. <laughs> ah, good stuff. Well, I uh, I do need to start wrapping us up because I already know the way that you and me go and uh, <laughs> the la the last time that we got together in a conversation proper I, I think was when I think we played Monster Hunter yeah. World for like nine hours together. it was it was insane because like it was shortly after Fighting Cowboy raided me on Twitch and then you showed up and we just start talking and suddenly it's like it's ten in the morning this is this is not good. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. I still have that clip of you and me fighting. Um, I forget which monster it was. I, it might have been um, Radabon or whatever, the, the, the rolling guy. And <laughs> you hit a nitro toad right before we were supposed to capture him. And the nitro toad blew up and killed him instead. It's like, listen, me killing monsters that I'm supposed to capture. I'm not going to say that that's a trend. <laughs> I'm not going to say that happens all the time. <laughs> But it does <laughs> quite oh, often. Man. I just like killing monsters too much. Okay, I'm here to kill them. I'm not here to capture them. All right. Honestly, you're a man after my own heart. You're a bit of a Panzerfaust. I like that. Yes. I've always appreciated that about you. <laughs> we kill all the things. Have you been keeping I think up it's with? That's why them? we get along. Have you been keeping up hmm? with Monster Hunter? A little bit. I've been. Uh, I've been keeping a cursory eye on like uh, friends of mine who've been streaming Rise. You didn't play Rise? I didn't because I was working on the yeah. Elden Ring guide. Hmm. Yeah, well, they're coming up with a new one next year, Wilds. That's probably like the, the best time to jump back in. Interesting. Okay, is that DLC or is it its own no, thing? No, it's, it's, it's a brand new Monster Hunter game. coming. Well, not next ah. year, actually. Uh, 2025. I, I say next year as if we're already in 2024. We're not quite there yet, but yeah. God, don't rush us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I i take your meaning though so in yeah. about a year a little more yeah and in about a year and change we'll probably have another okay. monster hunter we'll see how that pans out but anyway interesting that is going to be yeah. it for this episode of cons cast where can people find you um in my refrigerator looking for something to eat probably but <laughs> short of that um i stream on twitch 
I do have a YouTube channel, which I've neglected terribly, but yes, I, I upload there at least. I have. I upload there at least every year from PAX East. I, I go to PAX and try to film, but um, trying to get a little bit better about that. I've still got some footage I have to edit and get uploaded, but Twitch is the best place to find me these days. Just twitch.tv slash A underscore German underscore spy. I'll, uh, I'll be sure to put a link to that in the description of the, of the video. So, much appreciated. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to chat about the good old days, chat about souls, chat about all the things. Oh, please. I'm always happy to hang out with you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great to see you again. It was awesome. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, hit the like button, subscribe, bell notification icon, all that jazz. Thank you all very much for watching. Enjoy your holidays. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out. Take care, everybody.